You're listening to Beyond Synth, the best synthwave chat show there is. Welcome to Beyond Synth, the best synthwave chat show there is. Did my voice just crack? Well, ten seasons into the show, it had to happen sooner or later. I am Andy Last. I host the show and have hosted this show since the very beginning in 2013. And it's been a fun journey meeting people and listening to cool music. And today we are catching up with the Astral Stereo Project, who I haven't spoken with in many years. I think he was on in season four. So it's been a long time, and we will be meeting for the first time Polaris Van Samus, who is a burlesque dancer, and I think she's also starting a music project as well. And she also happens to be married to Neil from the Astral Stereo Project. And so I thought it would be fun to have them both on. So we get to catch up with somebody, we get to meet somebody new, and it'll be a good time. So how about this? Let's listen to some music. I give a few letters to read. We got to do birthdays. And in fact, I talked to them for so long that uh, we can probably keep the first part of the show pretty brief. Although I do want to play a few songs for you and of course uh, do birthdays and read some letters. So let's listen to this track from Gemway. From the album Entering Space It's uh, brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters We have a new Patreon supporter this week In the $25 club Mikothy Is that how you say that? Is it like Timothy but Mikothy? Maybe it's Mikothy Like if your real name is Mike And this is like a funny way of saying it Anyways, tell me, let me know So I can say it right next time But thank you so much for supporting the show It's always fun to have people support the show New donor, Micathy. All right, so I hope you like this. This is Gem Wave with Wasted Space.
And that was Wasted Space by Gem Wave. That's G-E-M Wave from the album Entering Space, brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. I feel like my voice is just cracking today. What the fuck? Because <laughs> I haven't, like, spoken on mic in a while. Hold on. Um, what was I saying? Oh, right. Uh, Mr. Magoo Samurai has upgraded his support. <laughs> That's right, Mr. Magoo Samurai is now in the $33 club because Mr. Magoo Samurai is a cool guy, and I want you all to know it. I also uh, have a message here from uh, Waylon Kasky Geospatial, who actually uh, sent in a Christmas donation, and I guess I missed this letter, or did it come late? I don't know. But uh, thank you very much for your support, dude. He sent a, a nice little Christmas gift. And he says, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays, Andy. Well, Happy Holidays to you, man. I don't know why I just saw this letter now. Congrats on making it to 300 episodes of Beyond Synth. Little late with this. Oh, you were late. Okay. <laughs> that solves it. Uh, been a crazy last few months as I finally finished the second phase of my Army Warrant Officer training. Back home in Texas now. Enjoyed listening to this show on my drive back. Remember you and Marco mentioning never shooting a firearm? Open invite if either of you drop by Texas. I'll take you to a range and demo some classic 80s firearms. Continue the good work with Beyond Synth and may 2022 be wonderful to you and the Synth family. Thank Thanks, Kyle. And that, of course, was Wheel and Kasky Geospatial. So it's awesome that you've uh, finished the second phase of Army Warrant Officer training. I don't know what a warrant officer is. Maybe you can let me know. And maybe one of these days, if I was with somebody who I trusted and I could go, like, target practice or something, because even though I love action movies and violent video games and all those things, I just, I'm not a gun guy, which is weird because I like toy guns. And I don't know what that means, really. Like, if you gave me a dart gun, I would have fun running around shooting at targets and stuff, but there, I think there's just something about the lethality of a real gun that frightens me. I feel that way about a lot of things in life. Like, once once you're given a tool or a vehicle or something where you have the potential to kill somebody if you fuck up, it adds a level of pressure that I've never gotten over. Like, I've never learned to drive. Part of that is I don't like the idea that I can fuck up and seriously hurt someone. Do you know what I mean? But target practice does sound like a lot of fun. And by classic 80s weapons, I hope you mean that, like, black submachine gun that's in all the action films. <laughs> that's I always love that. I don't know what the hell it's called. I know in uh, GoldenEye, the video game, it's called, like, the, the Dooch. I think that's what they call it. That's, like, the black submachine gun, and there's a version of it with the silencer on the front. Anyway, Merry Christmas, buddy. Let's listen to some more music. I got one here from Popcorn Kid from his album Memory Tapes, and it's uh, brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters, the Kings of the Pattersons, my favorite people on Earth. <laughs> Above my own family. Uh, there's Chris Dance, Mike Shima, and Mystery Donor. So check this out. This is Popcorn Kid with Cité du Vice.
And that was Cité du Vice from Popcorn Kid off the album Memory Tapes. And he's just, uh, it's Vice City, but is that French? Because it's like Cité is C-I-T-E with an accent above it. Is that an accent aigu? Anyways, uh, listen, that's uh, that track was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the Kroner Club. We got uh, Hampus ML and Emil. And then we got Mike Erdahl with the 5666 and Tim Carlton, the Golden Boner with the 50. And of course, the creator of the Cisco Hold music, <laughs> which... I'm going to say from now on, I got a message here from Cargo Cult Luau. He says, hey, Andy, I have recently been learning about this new thing called a computer. They say it's a machine that can service you with amazing calculations. Did you know this calculating service machine is connected to a web of information that allows everyone to think the same thing? Amazing! All jokes aside, I thought it might be fun to get your take on deep fakes. 
What could be the applications for the synthwave community? Or just in general, keep up the great work! That was Cargo Called Luau, who is a, a, an awesome patron of the show. I mean, I'm always thinking in terms of, like, movies and entertainment. So to me, deep fakes has always been something... I, I don't think too much about it in terms of the way it will uh, destabilize government and the news by being able to, like post fake videos of presidents and stuff. I just think of it more in like movies, the ability to like, you know, put an actor's face over a stunt performer, being able to have young versions of actors in movies. Or what I'd like to see is like, you know, when there's a flashback in a movie, maybe there's just one and you've got like the actor who you recognize and then they have a young person playing them as a kid. And especially if it's someone like, you know, like Robert De Niro or Al Pacino or something where we know what they looked like when they were young. Sometimes there's a little disconnect where you're watching a movie and now there's like another actor playing like that's who they were in their 20s and I'm like but I know what they looked like in their 20s like they didn't look like that guy you know so I think if it's only like one or two scenes I don't have a problem with like deep faking the actor's face onto another person doing the performance to like make the blend between adult version of them and the younger version of them look more like the adult version of the actor I might have a a controversial take on this but I think if you are an actor who's like say signed a contract because you're part of a franchise like let's use star wars as an example i know sometimes people see this as bad taste and there are certain things that i agree with right so i don't know if this is still being made but they were saying they were making a movie where they were going to have james dean in a new film where they were going to use cgi to have like a fake james dean in some new film now that i think is weird because obviously the actor never signed up to do this i'm not against someone wanting to do it because i think it's an interesting idea in the same way that remaking Psycho shot for shot was an interesting idea. I would never tell somebody, like, if they had an idea for a movie or a concept, like, don't do it. But that doesn't mean that these things are going to pay off, you know? But if you're an actor, say, in the Star Wars franchise, where you've already signed away your likeness for toys and video games and things like this, I don't see a problem with it. Sure, if, if they do like a Luke Skywalker show and they get a different actor to play Luke, I wouldn't be upset. But if the technology got to the point where they got an actor who looked kind of like him and then they sort of applied deep fake technology just to make it a bit more seamless, I personally wouldn't have an ethical problem with that. The way that I separate that from the James Dean thing is James Dean died way before this idea of like franchising out your likeness was a thing. But like Mark Hamill, he is Luke Skywalker and I think he knows that and everyone else knows that so in some cases i do think there's a difference and just like we saw with the han solo movie like the movie's okay but like the weirdest part is that guy isn't han solo like there's no getting around it at no point in that movie did i ever feel like i was watching han solo so anyway that's my two cents look let's listen to some more music okay and then we got to do some birthdays so i got a cool one here from paladin from the album quest and it's uh, brought to you by my awesome patreon supporters we got uh, Jacob Wick, my semi-sonic friend with the 4488, City Hunter, the coolest guy in town with the 42, and Retro Serenade with the 3333. This is Paladin with Ulrich's theme. <laughs>
And that was Ulrich's theme. Do you say Ulrich? No, it's Ulrich. Ulrich! It's like a fantasy name. Ulrich's theme from Paladin from the album Quest. You know what? That was brought to you by my awesome PayPals. There are many different ways to support Beyond Synth, and PayPal is one of them. Uh, We have a new uh, PayPal here, Adrian Lawrence. He says, Hey, been listening to your show since the beginning. I discovered it while searching for more Vincenzo Salvia. Anyway, love your show. Thanks for all the work that you do for the synthwave scene. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you, Adrian. You're a cool guy, and thank you so much for supporting the show. And Jersey, uh, one of my other awesome PayPals, says, Power on! Music to the full! In Synthuary! Which is a fun way of combining the words synth and January because we are in the month of January. And of course, I would like to thank my uh, my other awesome PayPals. Of course, there's the king of the PayPals upgrade, Jimpy. We got Ross Bruce, Austin Whetstone, Jimmy Groon, the Rosconian, Brandon Morin, Digital Dreams, Gustav Velichek, Dan Williams, Adrian Lawrence, Russell Nyes, Timothy Warwick, Jersey. And then, of course, Cal L. Jagger, Christian Alexander, Echo. Vector X and Kai Frank you for the love of Christ tell me how to pronounce your name <laughs> anyway thank you all for uh, supporting the show that's uh, PayPal so you can go to patreon.com slash beyond synth or paypal me slash beyond synth oh yeah and what else oh speaking of Star Wars that's right we've been watching Boba Fett so I just finished watching episode 4 I still don't quite know how I feel about this show it seems like it's been a little divisive one of my problems was sort of resolved by episode Episode 4, but I still think it's a strange storytelling device that in the Boba Fett show, they don't really tell you why Boba Fett wants to be a mob boss, and they eventually get around to it, but there's like three episodes where it's sort of unclear as to why this is happening, right? Because, you know, I know Boba Fett is an intergalactic bounty hunter, and so the second they're like, there's gonna be a mob war, it's like, right, so then why doesn't he just fucking take off? Why does he give a shit? Why does he want to live on Tatooine? I still don't think it's completely clear, but at least in episode four, they finally show the scene where he just explains himself. And sometimes there's some confusion that people have around what motivation has to be, you know, and it it doesn't have to be complicated. Like, you can watch a scene in a movie, and there's a guy in a desert, and he's, like, licking his lips, and there's someone with a bottle of water, and I understand as a viewer, oh, he's thirsty, he wants water. Right? And that's enough motivation for me as an audience member to understand why the character is doing what they're doing. So motivation, like, doesn't mean a character has to turn to the camera and explain their backstory and explain why they're doing everything that they're doing. But there has to be some level of understanding from the audience because then that's how you build the tension and the suspense, right? Because you you want to know what they want, why they want it. And more importantly, what will happen if they fail? Because that's what creates the stakes, right? So in the case of Boba Fett, since I didn't understand why he wanted to be a mob boss, I didn't understand why any of this mattered. Because at any moment, if he can just get into his spaceship and leave, who cares if there's a mob war, right? Who cares if the Huts send an assassin? Like, who who cares about any of this? Like... Who cares about the mayor? Like, it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't matter, right? Because you can just take off. So I still think, even though the show has explained a bit, it still hasn't, as of episode four, really outlined the stakes. You know, like, what happens, honestly, if this whole thing falls apart? What happens if Jabba's palace gets destroyed tomorrow? What does that mean? 
Does that mean Boba Fett has failed? Does he still live on Tatooine? Would he just take off? Do you know what I mean? So these are the things that are sort of running through my head. I think the show is okay, but ultimately I feel bad for, I guess, better shows. Where because something's Star Wars, I will give it the benefit of the doubt, even if I'm not loving it. You know what? I'm going to watch the whole first season of Downton Abbey. I bet you I would be really into Downton Abbey. I bet you there's lots of shows that if I actually just gave them a whole season, I would be into the show. Anyway, let's listen to some more music and then do birthdays, and then we will uh, talk to Astral Stereo Project and Polaris Van Samus. I want to listen to this track from Windsurfer from the album Golden Years. It's brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. Of course, Mr. Magoo Samurai with the 33. We got Brandon Decker with the 3232. And with the 2666, it's Hugh Hefner and the king of the $25 club, Mr. Clint Dowling. And uh, now check this out. This is Windsurfer with Return to Me. Running 
was returned to me by Windsurfer from the album Golden Years. And uh, that was brought to you by my awesome $25 patrons. We got A Star Apart, Alex Seligson, Blake Peterson, Cargo Cult Luau, Eurobeat Intensifies, Honeybeard, and Jimmy the Hut. And we are back and we got to do birthdays, so let's play that jingle. So here's the deal. Like I said last week, we have a few birthdays to cover because I went over some of them real quick. Shit, we're (laughs) three quarters into January and I am doing the birthdays from the beginning of January because I'm bad at my job. So we got two birthdays on January the 1st. That's exciting. We got Slade and Kudzust. Both of their birthdays were on the 1st of January. That would mean that you were always the oldest in your class at school. That's exciting. You know, you guys had a huge advantage over your classmates. I was born in November. My son is born in December. It's a big deal when you're young. It technically means that if you're going to school and there is somebody who was born January 1st and you're born like, you know, December 15th or something, that there's people in your class who are like a year older than you. So there's like a huge disparity, especially when you're young in terms of like, you know, you could be in the same class with a person who's like two feet taller than you. You know what I mean? Just because they're just so much further ahead in their development. Anyway, what's something that happened on January the 1st? Well, in 45 BC, the Julian calendar takes effect for the first time. Do you guys want a history lesson? Did you know the Julian calendar was proposed by Julius Caesar? It was designed with the aid of Greek mathematicians and astronomers, such as, who? Sosagenes of Alexandria? Sosagenes? <laughs> Am I saying that right? Tomatoes? Sosagenes? Nice crispy bacon. The calendar became the predominant calendar in the Roman Empire and subsequently most of the Western world for more than 1,600 years until 1582 when Pope Gregory VIII what the fuck, promulgated, promulgated as a word I never used, a minor modification to reduce the average length of the year from 365.25 days to 365.2425 days, and thus corrected the Julian calendar's drift against the solar year. Hey, in 1710, Paris merchant Jean Marius obtains a five-year royal privilege for his invention of a folding umbrella, first in Europe. So January 1st, 1710 was when he invented the umbrella or when he got royal privilege? What the hell is royal privilege? In 1964, Top of the Pops, British pop music television program premieres, including acts like Dusty Springfield, The Rolling Stones, and The Beatles. And who shares a birthday with you guys? None other than Vern Troyer, Mini-Me in Austin Powers. He was born in 1969. Ironically, even though he was born the 1st of January, he was probably always the smallest in his class. Because Vern Troyer was a little person. That is correct. All right. Happy birthday, you guys. Uh, Let's listen to another song. I got one here from... Now, this is written in Cyrillic, but I think it is pronounced Klet. Although when you look at it, it looks like K-N-E-T, but it's Cyrillic alphabet. He sent me this a while back. It's a cool album, uh, some cool vibes. It is all written in Cyrillic, but there is also English translations, I see. So anyways, look, let's listen to this song, okay? It's uh, it's brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in uh, the $25 Club. We got Joey Richards, Johnny Five, Kempson, Ken Jeru, Marantha, Mike Othee, and Neverman. And uh, this track is is by Klett, and it is called White Korea. 
And that was White Korea by Klett. I fucking hope I'm saying that right. Uh, it was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the $25 club. We got Ross Bird, Techno Ben, Slade, and Forged in Neon with the 2049. That's right. And we got to continue doing birthdays because we have a few more. On January the 2nd, a very happy birthday to Ross Pentland. That's right, Ross Pentland. Happy birthday to you. January the 2nd. I'm only, what, 20 days late? What do we got here? Who shares a birthday with you? Born in 1968, we got Cuba Gooding Jr., the actor from Snow Dogs. Wasn't that, was that the film? Was it Snow Dogs? Born in 1967, we have Tia Carrere. You remember Tia Carrere? Were you alive in the 90s? Remember in the 90s, Tia Carrere was hot stuff. She was in Wayne's World. She had like a really terrible television show. <laughs> what the fuck was that show called? Hold on. I gotta remind myself here. Tia Carrera TV show. Relic Hunter. That was the show. 1999 to 2002. She was sort of a uh, Lara Croft type character. Maybe there's a good one here. Um, hey, 1920, Isaac Asimov. That'll make you nerds happy, right? Russian scientist and sci-fi writer Isaac Asimov. Born in 1920 on January the 2nd. So there you go. And on January 15th, happy birthday to Tetsuya Miwa. That is correct. Did you know, Tetsuya Miwa, that in 2001, Wikipedia, a free wiki or content encyclopedia, is launched? So your birthday is also the birthday of Wikipedia which is where I'm getting most of this information. Uh, what else? Uh, let's see. Birthdays, 1929. Martin Luther King Jr. There you go. That's a historical figure. Born the same day as you. Leader of the civil rights movement. Also notable birthday in 1957. Mexican actor Mario Van Peebles. So, if you were ever a fan of straight-to-video movies, you might know Mario Van Peebles. What the hell is this? In 1994, a Hague motorist with a .51% alcohol in the blood breaks the Dutch record of .47. Why is that in the list? (laughs) On your birthday in 1994, some really, really drunk guy was pulled over and it turned out he had the most alcohol in his blood ever. (laughs) Happy birthday. And uh, coming up in a few days, we got a birthday here on January the 26th. It's Monkey Magics. That's right. Monkey Magics is a cool guy. You got a birthday coming up. And uh, what has happened on your birthday? 2006 Western Union discontinues its telegram service. What? I guess that makes the Mortal Kombat movie even even more obsolete. You know that scene at the beginning of Mortal Kombat when Liu Kang gets the, the Western Union telegram that says his brother's dead and he has to go back home? He's got that apartment that is right next to a giant green light. So after 2006, Liu Kang would have never received that telegram. How about some famous birthdays? On January 26th, let's see, we got Gene Siskel, American movie critic. Remember back in the day when there was only like three movie critics? And now there's like a thousand? And for some reason they all liked Last Jedi? And then what is 1955? Eddie Van Halen! Van Halen's made some cool songs, right? You got Jump. I like that one because it's got lots of synths in it. Then there's uh, Ellen DeGeneres, the nicest lady in show business. She was born in 58. Some people are a lot older than I think they are. Hey, and then look at this. Wayne Gretzky, Canadian Ice Hockey Hall of Fame. 
I'm Canadian. Does this mean anything to you, Monkey Magics? Do you know who Wayne Gretzky is? Famous hockey player? I'm a bad Canadian, because I don't really... Uh, have anything to do with hockey, but uh, anyway, the point is, happy birthday to all of you, okay? I hope you're all having a lovely day. So here's a cool one from Your Sister is a Werewolf, brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. Uh, in the $20 club, there's Joshua Winter and Cheddarek. Then there's Whale and Kasky Geospatial with the 1988 we just heard from him. Toots with the 1986. The Buchelman Sisters, Sarah and Rachel, or Rachel and Sarah with the 1985. Uh, now listen to this, man. This is uh, Your Sister is a Werewolf with The One. And that was The One by Your Sister Is a Werewolf. 
And uh, that was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. There's Gene Creamer, Private Eye, Mads Baron Christensen, and we will never forget the immortal Chris Celia Lane. And I got to apologize because my voice is just cracking today. So let's go chat now with the Astral Stereo Project and Polaris Van Samus. Well, I'm here right now. We're catching up. We're doing two things, okay? We're meeting someone, and we're catching up with someone, and we're doing it at the same time. It's very, very exciting. So, first of all, we are catching up with the Astral Stereo Project. Neil, how's it going? Very well, thank you. Thanks for having me back on. And I should stress, it's not the Astral Stereo Project, Neil. It's the Astral Stereo Project, and Neil is your name. That's right. Yeah. Last time you were on was in 2017. I know. I'm quite surprised it's been that long, to be honest, when I look back at it. Yeah, it's crazy. So there's been a bunch of stuff since then. We'll, we'll cover that ground. Yeah. I wrote my only note for this entire conversation. It says, I wrote original chat January 17, and my stupid notepad autocorrected original to the word Pringle. So it just says Pringle chat. <laughs> We could talk about Pringles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> save it. <laughs> we'll do that at the end of the show. Get people really excited. <laughs> and uh, we are meeting for the first time on Beyond Synth. Polaris Van Samus, a.k.a. Sam. Hi, Andy. This will be fun because we have all this music to catch up on from Neil. And then you are going to explain burlesque to me. Oh, no. <laughs> I feel like this this is going to be the forum where this happens because I have a lot of questions and I've always been very confused at this art form. Okay. Not to put you on the spot here. No, we can do it. Let's do it. Now, explain to me the connection between the two of you. Well... It's down to you, Andy. That's yeah. what it is. <laughs> we'll hear from Sam first. So tell me, why are the both of you in the same room, man? Okay, so... How many years ago was it? Because I feel like the pandemic has kind of like obscured time for me. Anytime you think something happened last year, you mean three years ago. Right, exactly. But I was complaining on Twitter, as I usually do. Hmm about synthwave the genre and um you were sending me some links to new music and one of them being the astral stereo project i think you were looking for a 70s sound was that right like that's where i was headed yeah like a 70s cinematic soundtrack vibe and i listened to it and i was like he's the one (laughs) i just know it (laughs) (laughs) i just knew it how many love connections am I responsible for now? Because I could probably start making a list. Really? Yeah. Wait, no, tell me. <laughs> well, because Vincenzo Salvia, he ended up marrying Powder Slut. I, I always feel weird having to say that. <laughs> that is her artist name. Yana. <laughs> uh, and that, that was... Uh, because she was posting these sort of modely pictures on Facebook, and then I posted one as like just like a for fun like challenge thing. Like, oh, you're posting all these, so I'll post a silly one. Which then got Vincenzo reading the post, and then they met each other that way, Aww, and then they oh ended up gosh. getting married. Aww. And uh, well, yeah, then you can tell me about you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess not a very long list to start, though, isn't it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you you were listening to some stuff. And you're like, oh, I like that 70s vibe thing. And I'm like, well, then you are going to like the Astral Stereo Project. And then you listened and you were like, yeah. 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 And then I got a, um, a message from Sam just, you know, saying she liked the songs and stuff like that. And we got 
sort of chatting over a period of months, covering all kinds of different things, sending each other songs, recommendations and things like that, because we both like synthwave, obviously, but we also have very similar interests in uh, other sort of genres as well. So we just started off just chatting, really, and then it just got more and more intimate, didn't it? Serious. Yeah, and then we started seeing each other in private, and then I think you flew over to America, like, what, twice? And then we got engaged. Uh, Yeah, twice, yeah. Twice, and then we got engaged in private, and then Mm -hmm. you flew over one last time before everything shut down. Yeah. And then (laughs) the journey to the UK was grueling. Your uh, relationship fell victim to the global pandemic because that's when they started shutting down all the fucking flights and stuff. Yes. And you're like, damn, I got to get over there to... Neil's house. Neil's house, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Lots of crying, lots of uh, despair. But I sacrificed a lot to get here, so there's no going back. She's stuck with me now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? Getting married in the middle of the pandemic was not fun. Obviously, my family wasn't allowed to come over. And his family wasn't even allowed in the same room with us Mm. when we said our vows. It was just us in a very cold room. (laughs) And uh, it was not fun. But we made it fun because we had like our own little photo shoot. Yeah. Got drunk. (laughs) We got drunk. (laughs) (laughs) I listened to... uh, Electric light orchestra. Yeah. Well, it sounds like fun to me, man. You know, sometimes all these in-laws can just be a bother, you know? Like, mm-hmm. it's nice when you can just uh, legally say you can't come in. Right. <laughs> and have to stay yeah. outside. But look, the point is, I guess this is sort of a weird thing, because maybe I should have explained more that uh, Polaris Van Samus, your alias, mm-hmm. you do burlesque, and then you were doing sort of uh, burlesque performances with, like, synthwave music right is that correct like this is how you sort of popped into the like how we know who you are yes (laughs) so you should have probably done that first but uh, (laughs) yeah i don't know what else you want me to say about (laughs) (laughs) just yes i like when people agree with me you were doing that you you hooked up with the tunes and then you're like yes and then you went you guys got married and the point is that you're uh, happily married people correct and we're gonna have a good time today let's have a good time all right i have to say that before every show because i have a crippling depression and so, like, I just if, <laughs> if I announce that we're going to have a good time out loud, and that sort of like manifests it. Well, yeah, I uh, resonate with that statement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, look, how about we get things started? We got a bunch of music to listen to. So, Neil, since you were last on, I think you came out with Antihero Two like after we chatted. Yeah, I think the last one I've done was Farewell to Paradise. So that means we got a whole bunch of albums to cover. So I picked a few tracks from all of the 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 albums since then. Uh, Antihero 2 is awesome. Antihero 2 might be, I think, my favorite album of yours. Oh, well. There are, there are great songs on that. I mean, like, look, there's good songs on all of them, but you know what I mean. I like to, <laughs> I like to do those weird backwards compliments where it's like it is a compliment, but then it's like... <laughs> You know, this is, this is why I learned from pickup artists on YouTube. You got to like compliment people, but then give them an insult, like at the same time. And then they, uh, I guess it's a way to get girls or something. I don't know. Um, so, <laughs> but Antihero 2 is, uh, it's, it's so, the reason why I'm mentioning that I like it so much is because I had difficulty picking tracks from it to play. Oh, mm. good. Which is one of those like double-edged swords because it's cool. Because it's like, hey, it's nice to be have all this great music, and then it's tough, because it's like, but which one is like the... Anyway, so 
I'm going to go with uh, Revenger first. We're going to listen to yes. Revenger, all right? <laughs> you know what's funny? When I told Michael Oakley that I was seeing Neil, he sent me that song, and he was like, this is my favorite song. And I've never heard that song yet at the time. So Michael Oakley mm-hmm. is kind of uh, woven into the story a bit, too. Yeah. <laughs> Him and his fart jokes. <laughs> well, he's a... Uh, listen, man, We like, we're, this is a classy show here, all right? So when he tries to pull that stuff over here, I shut him down. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Let's listen to this. This is, uh, this is Revenger by the Astral Stereo Project.
was the Astral Stereo Project with Revenger. And I am back right now with two guests. We got the Astral Stereo Project here, Neil and Polaris Van Samus. Sam, husband and wife. Um, yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's about it. <laughs> anyway, Neil, why don't, you, why don't you talk a bit about uh, Antihero 2? Because this album's fucking full of great songs. Yeah, um, so I think... Andy Hero was probably the first synthwave-ish album that I did and being a sort of artist that covers sort of 80s music what, what did the 80s do best? Sequels isn't it? So we, I thought I'd better do a sequel to, it was either going to be Andy Hero or Bastard Squad and so it was just sort of figuring out did I just want to repeat myself or did I want to try something a little bit different and I decided to try something a little bit different and go a bit darker because I kind of like sequels that go a bit darker mm. so I'm guessing the Andy Hero goes through a lot of trouble in this one um, <laughs> it's got a bit of a downer of an ending which is why there's a big explosion at the end of Revenger and it goes into that kind of melancholy ending that's the kind of vibe I was going for and yeah I was really happy with it actually in the end it was it turned out really nice Revenger was actually a, um, a, a tough track to make because it, it took a while for it to come together because there's a lot going on in it it sort of changes a couple of times and uh, you know it was uh, it's just, it was a bit of a challenge to, to get the sound right on that one it, it went through a few different variations before I, I got it to where I wanted it to be yeah as you're going to see with the tracks I've chosen for the rest of the episode that I, I tend to pick the more sort of upbeat ones even though you do have this sort of vibe where you do capture that you know that like 70s early 80s kind of sound and then I end up picking like kind of the more poppy tracks and stuff like this which we'll hear later but I just I feel like this this song sort of has it all which is what I like because it has like the kind of the cool synth bass line stuff but then you do have those moments where it does the breakdown with the piano and I don't I don't know what you call it what do you call it when you go like is there a word for that I don't know I feel like it's not an arpeggio is it? I don't know where it is. There must there will be a name for it. I'm just not technically. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not very good technically with music. There's those sorts of moments where I feel like this song almost goes through like a lot of the different styles of Astral Stereo Project, like within the same song. You know? Yeah, and I like songs that do that. That sort of start somewhere and then they go somewhere else and then come back to the, the beginning again and then it takes you away again and I do that quite a bit on a few songs. Um, and, I, and I don't know whether it's off putting for people or it's jarring, but I kind of enjoy that sort of. I enjoy that songs that do that myself but I also enjoy the challenge of trying to make one myself I really do like it I feel like there are certain artists who I on this show I mention a lot and I feel like I don't I don't necessarily drop your name a lot but I will say personally I listen to your music a lot because oh, I know sometimes there's like ones that are like easier for me to say or like you know where I drop a thing like oh like look a set or whatever but it's not like I'm listening to tonight every day or whatever but I do find that uh, you know there's a lot of your tunes that end up in like like the regular rotation and I feel like within the scene but maybe this is my perception I feel like more people should be talking about your music I've said that I've <laughs> said that <laughs> it's really good and it does capture a very specific thing and when I listen to your tunes I do get that sort of that very cinematic kind of late 70s early 80s vibe the way you you'll use strings and and things like that and the types of tunes you play and the guitar work and stuff there isn't anyone else that I listen to that I go oh that sounds like they're doing the same thing right there's a lot of people doing some of the same stuff and then there's you who sort of floating around and I feel like the composition's really good you know there's a lot of times where I'll listen to your tracks and I'll go like is this a like is this a cover like like the song the composition and everything's so good that I feel like it's like he's covering some fucking song I've never heard of like because I I know it's a weird thing to say but it's like I, I feel that way whenever people make songs that are really good sometimes I'm almost suspicious yeah um where I'm like 
nah, like this is something else. Like this is, you know, like honestly, you should see him when he's making music because he'll write something and then he'll call me in and he'll be like, is this a song? I'll be so, like, I'm sure I've heard this before. Is this is this is this me, or is it, am I just pulling from someone else? And so she's like, No, it's you. Like at least if it was happening, you're actually pulling from some great stuff from like the actual '70s. Because like nowadays, I feel like within the synthwave scene, if someone goes, "Is this a song?" Like, yes, it's uh, from a popular synthwave artist who made that same song last year. You know what I mean? Like exactly. Yeah, they're pulling from stuff from very recently. Whereas I feel like in your case, if you were pulling from something, it'll end up being like something from the '70s, from some actual. You know what I mean? Like yeah. It'll be some. Yeah, I was about to say real music. Like from like <laughs> real music. <laughs> I think you saying uh, as well that you listen to my music a lot. That means a lot as well, you know, because you want to make music that people want to listen to over and over, rather than forgettable this week, you know, and it, it's come out and then it's gone. So I've had people commenting on albums I made years ago. They've just discovered them and, and they come and, and they email me and, and tell me what they like and stuff. And that's great that, you know, it's, they're still around a few years later. And I just I hope that continues. Well, I've always felt that's the nice thing about making music with a sort of nostalgic twist in the first place is because it doesn't it doesn't matter when people find it. That's yeah. a good point. That's why it never mattered to me to debut exclusives or to be like as current as some of the other synthwave related podcasts and blogs and stuff <laughs> because the music to me is timeless and it doesn't matter when people discover the synthwave. All that matters is that they discover it. I'd agree with that. Um, there's been so much good music through the years that you don't really want to forget about all the stuff that came before you know it's it's i kind of get nostalgic for all the synthwave music as well mm. which is strange like when i first started the stuff that i got into you know mr murder and people like that all, all his early stuff was fantastic and it still is yeah we are in the nostalgia for the nostalgia phase yeah. i mean right. like i'm in the 10th season of beyond synth and the scene was already a few years old when i started doing the show has anyone started saying that to you yet i prefer you know early andy last Stuff. I mean, people have <laughs> said things like that, <laughs> but it's it's more because, like, to keep the show interesting for myself, I change things up every few years. Like, I do recurring segments and new jingles and things, and, and that means that, like, some older seasons have a different vibe, so it hasn't been, like, the same show for nine years. So if you're the kind of listener who, like, fondly remembers when I used to read junk emails or whatever, <laughs> then I understand preferring the older shows. But anyway, look, we're not talking about me, okay? We're talking <laughs> about you. So how about we listen to another song from this album? And then uh, we're going to talk... We're going to focus on you next segment, Sam, okay. Antha. Okay. <laughs> and we're going to talk about... Uh, <laughs> This way, this way I can get away with saying both versions of the name. That's fine. Because you're going to explain yourself. Yeah, I've got some explaining to do. Yeah, yeah. you've got some explaining to do. <laughs> so I want to listen to this one. This is from Antihero 2. And this was a, an awesome kind of emotional cinematic track. Kind of gives me some Scarface vibes just a little bit, but I, I've always loved this one. It's called We Will Always Be Alone. Mm. A lot of the tracks I end up picking of yours are mostly vocal tracks, but then I was like, I got to pick some fucking instrumentals too, right? Because these albums are full of them. Yeah, you don't want to anger the... Um, oh, I don't care. The, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know exactly where I was going with that. Okay. <laughs> no, those people are dumb. Right. I, I don't even have anything clever to say about it. Okay. All right. <laughs> no, because I mean, I love... Believe me, like I love the, the, the cinematic tracks. But 
you know, when I'm doing chores or when I'm running around or whatever, like it's it's the vocal tracks that end up hooking you more, I believe. But then at the same time, I think that's what is so weird about the synthwave scene is because we sit around and we listen to this music like when I was young, I would listen to movie soundtracks and movie scores and stuff. And synthwave does fill that void because they are sort of movie score type songs. But in a way, sometimes I'm not always in the mood to listen to just score music. I'm often just sort of imagining the movie that the music would accompany. Right. When I was listening to your newest one, Neil, the, the um, Sorcerer, I just I'm just picturing the movie. You know what I mean? Like, because it's a movie soundtrack to this movie, and I'm just I'm just picturing like, what is this scene? Oh, this is the scene where they're they're driving up in limos to this weird mansion because they're going to do some weird fucking sacrifice or something. Yeah. <laughs> and then the music's playing, you know, whatever. And so I'm imagining the whole thing. Whereas, like, when people have just, like, actual, just, like, vocal, like, kind of pop tracks, I'm just sort of, like, it's just the way I, I always enjoyed music, you know, where you're just sitting around doing stuff and listening to tunes and vibing, you know? Yeah. It's the same for <laughs> us as well. I mean, when you when you make music, sometimes, like, exactly like you say, you, you, I want to just sort of imagine a scene from a film and thinking, what if I was writing this soundtrack, what, what kind of thing would I be coming up with? And that's, that's like, fun. But also, um, I get bored sometimes doing that, so I will want to write a vocal track as well but certainly the last couple I've done have been more sort of pure sort of soundtracks but um, I have got a couple things in the pipeline where it's back to doing vocal tracks as well well I don't know if you know this and you know I'm gonna plug myself a bit here but like we wrote that concept together for the sorcerer and like we actually wrote the story yeah I think that's why we work we, we collaborate really well together on um, concepts so in my imagination, then, am I correct? Is there a scene where a bunch of limos drive up to a mansion and they do a yeah. sacrifice? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Because I didn't read any liner notes. Like, that's just... I mean, I guess the title of the song. Hey, whatever. <laughs> Look, the point is this. We're going to listen to We Will Always Be Alone, and then we are going to learn all about Polaris Van Samus, all right? So this is We Will Always Be Alone by the Astral Stereo Project. <laughs>
And that was the Astral Stereo Project with the track We Will Always Be Alone. I have been chatting with both the Astral Stereo Project, Neil, and Polaris Van Samus, Samantha. So now, Sam, this is for you. Yes. And I'm sorry, Neil, if you had something to say about that song, but you, <laughs> you're being silenced now. <laughs> that's fine, that's fine. <laughs> Did you have anything to say about that song? <laughs> Uh, no, um, it's a very personal song. Uh, I, I really like it, but it's difficult to listen to. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, it's, I really like it. I, I wanted to listen oh, to yeah, it. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a lovely song, yeah. I agree. Okay, well, anyway. Well, it, look, too late. We played it. <laughs> if you listen back to the show, you can mute that part. <laughs> um, anyway, so, Sam, all right, so you, you sort of popped into the timeline. Yeah. And we're doing burlesque stuff mm-hmm. with synthwave music, which was an interesting thing. Yeah. Give people a biography here. Explain who you are. Okay. So I've been doing burlesque since 2015 in Virginia. And I did burlesque for a, like maybe a couple of years. And then I added the drag element because I'm also a drag queen, drag artist, I like to say. So, I mean, think like Elvira or Dolly Parton or Vampira, like big personalities, but stripping to Synthwave, right? Okay, can can I... Sorry, so I'm going to be interrupting your story periodically. Go ahead, yeah. Okay, I'm going to do a disclaimer now. Yeah. That some of the questions I ask, I'm doing this with all the best intentions of learning. I may stumble and say some inappropriate things or words or questions that are going to be like, why'd you ask that? Mm Because I generally just, I I have a whole confusion over this whole thing. Yes. And I would like to learn. (laughs) Okay. Now, my understanding of drag might be a little confused here. Right. Because I thought drag was very specifically like dudes who dress like ladies and perform and is very big and stuff and it's like very theatrical and sort of thing. Yeah. So is it or is it the style? Am I confused? Am I wrong? No, I wouldn't say you're confused. Definitely. Okay. So in the drag community, there is a lot of conversation about gatekeeping and who gets to do drag. And really what it comes down to is Everybody is allowed to do drag because drag is an expression of the self in however way you want to express it. And then also we have to think about trans women do drag and it's not fair or politically correct to say that they can't do drag anymore because they've transitioned. Does that make sense? Right. (laughs) At one point, was the definition literally just... And when I say men, I mean cisgender men assigned male at birth. Uh, If they, it's just them dressing up like women Mm -hmm. and then doing like a sort of performance that that was drag. But then now it seems more like it's like the style of the makeup itself, like with the, Mm -hmm. the big wigs and the sort of outlandish makeup. Like, is that, that's the drag part now? Like, it's like, it's like the whole over the topness of it. Right. So there's a lot of history when we talk about drag and we could definitely talk about that, but that's going to take up a whole episode and I don't want to get anything wrong myself. We'll let Neil answer those questions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> so I'm here too. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, drag is definitely evolving. Like it's not just about gender anymore. It's about being something beyond that. 
which is something that I resonate with personally and something that I gravitate towards and try to implement within my own expression of my artistic self, if that makes sense. Right. <laughs> I guess because obviously when we think of drag, we think of RuPaul and stuff. Right. Where, you know, like it's all like, the, I'm just going to say the same things again, but like the big wigs and like all the all this mm-hmm. sorts of stuff. But like if someone just did it where it was very minimal, mm-hmm. where it was still like he was, it was a man, but like they put on sort of makeup that just basically made them just look like a woman or presenting as a woman, mm-hmm. but it wasn't outlandish and it wasn't over the top. That would still be considered drag, right? Yeah. I mean, it really depends on what is their intention. Like, are they doing that to do drag or are they, is it something else? I mean, if they put on like a little bit of mascara and they're saying, I'm in drag, like it's not right to be like, well, that's not drag because that would be gatekeepy. Right. You know, I guess I'm coming from it from not from the place of any sort of gatekeeping where it's just like we need right. the confines of drag to be known. Right. Right. I'm sort of more confused as to what it's expanded to as to what it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Let's just like, so this is drag too. Like, this is what <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to figure out. Like, this is drag. Okay, fine. But then this is drag as well. And this is drag. And there's ladies doing drag. Because mm-hmm. I yeah. always thought, again, I, in my head, it was the opposite. It was like if a woman did drag, she would dress as a man. Right, a, a drag king. Cur- right. Yeah. Oh, oh, drag king? That's what that's called? Yeah. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> well, guess, yeah, 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 okay, that makes sense. Well, you know, you're asking these questions at a good time because even among the drag community, these conversations are happening. So for me personally, because I'm an artist at heart, so I view it as the expression of self and I don't want to say... Well, you can't do that. Like, I'm not a purist, right? Like, is that what it's... Yeah. (laughs) But, yeah, it it has evolved from its original state, but there has always been people of all different types of gender doing drag dressed as a hyper-feminine version of themselves. Right. So that's the thing, because my initial confusion was the sort of, when you are a, a lady doing burlesque, it's like, what's the difference between that mm-hmm. and drag, right? Because in burlesque, you could also wear an outlandish costume and just say, I'm a burlesque dancer, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess it comes down to what the performer identifies themselves as. Does it come down to big wigs? <laughs> a lot of drag queens will say, yeah, it does. Like, invest in a good wig, for sure. But you have to have money to invest in it. Like, my wigs, right? <laughs> My wigs are like 200, 300, 400 dollars and I have like five. You know, when I when I had a job before the pandemic, I would save all my money and I would invest in a wig that I can wear for almost any performance that I do. And <laughs> coincidentally, the routines would kind of revolve around like the outfit and everything would revolve around the wig like does it look good with the wig right because that to me was my investment piece in the in the personality in the persona persona yeah thank you (laughs) yeah well i mean i would hope so if the wig was that much money fuck i'd have it on display if i'd if i had that wig i would have it on like the tables everyone could see it (laughs) like why the hell is that thing there it costs fucking 500 bucks that's why (laughs) you're all gonna look at it so when you started doing burlesque was it something like you saw drag and said like i want to do that or was that something you wanted to do right away like that was the interest or i've always wanted to do i didn't know what it was but i always knew that i wanted to be something this sounds a bit morbid but i've always just wanted to like crawl out of my skin and be someone else you know? That's not morbid. I thought you were about to say, I just always wanted to die. And I would have been like, all right, that's morbid. <laughs> like, well, yeah, I guess. 
<laughs> so, okay. So burlesque for me when I started was about the sexual liberation of myself because of the things that I've gone through that were traumatic. I didn't really know how to be intimate with other people or uh, honest with myself or, you know, I wasn't connected to my, what Jesse Fry calls the inner goddess, mm. <laughs> you know? And so then I did that and I was like, okay, I like this, but it doesn't really feel like a hundred percent what I want to do. And so then I added the drag element and then I was like, okay, I feel like this is coming together for me. And then the synth wave and then the metal element, like dancing to two genres that empower me in a way, because all, all of my friends are in the synth wave genre. And so it was so beautiful to dance to my friend's music. I felt very empowered. Like, as if they were with me on that stage. It's very complex, and I don't want to take over the episode with all the complexities that come with... Well, I do I do have more questions, but don't worry. I, okay. We're going to break this up nicely, you know? Okay. I'd like to say I have a plan, but that would be a lie. Right. <laughs> all I know is I go, well, I'll play a song, and then we'll talk to Neil, then we'll play a song, then we'll talk to Sam. It's all going to work itself out, because I do have more questions more specifically about burlesque, mm-hmm. which is where sort of more of my confusion kind of comes into play. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, you know, this is what it's all about. It's all a learning experience for me, and, <laughs> and everyone else listening just goes like, what the fuck? You're going to get so much hate mail. <laughs> well, I've just decided to adopt Facebook and Twitter's business model. All right. Just make content that makes people angry, so they just send me angry messages all day because as long as they keep listening, that's my motto. Okay. Uh, anyway, look, we got to listen to some music. Okay. We're going to move ahead to Rediscovery mm. from 2018. And uh, I would like to play this song I fucking listen to all the time. It's called Lightning in the Attic. Mm. That's yeah. a really good song. It's like one of my favorites. <laughs> it's a fun track. And uh, Neil, you can tell me all about it after we listen to it. How about that? Okay, yeah. Perfect. Well, then let's do it. This is Lightning in the Attic by the Astral Stereo Project.
And that was the Astral Stereo Project with Lightning in the Attic. And I'm here right now with the Astral Stereo Project, Neil and Polaris Van Samus. But we just had a big talk about burlesque, and now we're going to move back to Neil to talk about burlesque. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, I'm kidding. Uh, (laughs) Tell me about the song we just listened to. Yeah, Lightning in the Attic. So, Rediscovery, on the whole, is like a a more back-to-the-70s, sort of early-80s when bands started to toy with the idea of doing a bit of disco in the music as well so um that was me trying to like go for the sort of sounds and and songs that they would do like elo went through sort of discoish period you know which i really love so lightning in the attic was a, a song that i've had for a, a while that i just haven't really been able to find its rightful place so it was nice to be able to as soon as I added the sort of uh, vocoders and things like that it was it just came together like really easily it's it's probably one of my personal favorites as well well it's a great chorus like it's such a catchy chorus to this song yeah again it's it's a, it's an oldish one it's, it's about 10 year old I think really the song itself uh, partially written and it's just been sat, kind of sat on a shelf for a while and until it was ready to and I've got loads of songs like that, you know, where you're just sort of waiting for the right time for it to bear fruit. And why was 2018 the right time? I don't know. I think what I normally do with a with when I get an album in the mix and I'm trying to like put it together, I'll I'll go back through my old songs just to see if there's anything that jumps out, and, and I'll be like, you know what, that that fits this kind of where I'm going for here. So I'll work on it a little bit, and sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. So I think with the sort of disco touch that it had on the album, uh, it just seemed to work for that particular song, and I was really happy with with the direction it went in. Like I say, it came together really easy. Um, some songs take ages, and you've got like Revenger, you know, which I had to do it over and over to get it right. But um, Lightning in the Attic, uh, as soon as I hooked onto that whole sort of disco sound, I mean, it's not disco, but it's got that sort of late 70s sort of feel. It, it just came together really easily. And what is your most expensive wig? <laughs> I, I need a wig as well, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but uh, no, I, I don't have one, no. But you never know. I've got a bag full of them. I used to make silly videos, and I still have this bag of wigs, so I want to just make more stupid videos again, like I used to, <laughs> and I feel like I'm going to have to bring out that bag of wigs and play characters. That'd be cool. I'll definitely watch that. Well, when I ever see stupid people who have all these Instagrams and TikToks and stuff where they they make funny videos, but they just play all the characters, you know, where they just, like, cut back and forth like they're talking to different people, I'm like, I can do that. I used to do that all the time. I don't have any friends <laughs> to star in my videos, especially during a pandemic. I don't know. You've got those puppets, don't you? <laughs> I do. I'll tell you this. Puppeting those puppets really hurts my arm. Wait, that's so that's you. Yes. Okay, Andy's spaceship, even though it looks cheap, the entire thing is a special effects shot. That's why they take me so long to make. We love Andy's spaceship, don't we? Yeah, we do. (laughs) Yeah, I I would love to make more. It's just that it's like it is a lot of work. And like part of the thing is when it's finished, it doesn't look like it's a lot of work. And so I think some people, when they watch it, they just don't know why I'm not like making these things like once a week. And it's like, "Eh, it takes fucking a long time. (laughs) <laughs> and it hurts mm-hmm. just the the angle that i'm sitting at that chair like when i talk to the puppets i'm like laying on my back with like my arm like sort of curled up huh. and like it really hurts yeah well as long as it's funny i mean like that's the end of the day i just want it to be funny that's all well it is 
We love it, don't we? We do. We just, we just love you, Andy. <laughs> well, it's nice just to receive compliments amidst all the uh, angry messages I get all the time. <laughs> but uh, what's what's the name of the instrument in uh, Lightning in a Bottle, the, the keyboard sound? Like a Super Trump keyboard. Yeah, is that what it's called? Uh, well, Super Trump had a sort of, you know, I, think, what's, I can't remember what song. Is it Logical Song or something like that? But the, they were, like, famous for using that kind of piano. But I haven't got one, but I just try and, like, add effects to it to give it sort of that 70s sound just a lot of pissing about with plugins you know trying to get the sound yeah 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 if I know what I'm going for then it's worth it in the end because I thought it sounded really good has anything changed about your production since the last time I spoke to you I'm always sort of trying to be better and learn so yeah I, I would say that I'd like to say it's improving, but that's down for other people to judge. But well, certainly when I made sort of Cassiopeia at the beginning, I was a pretty, I was a novice. I didn't know what I was doing, you know. But I feel like I understand when I'm opening things now. I understand what to do and I'm tr- what I'm trying to achieve and how I can achieve it a lot more than I used to. Was there like a particular like theme for rediscovery? Yes, I think most of my albums have a well. Yeah, well, maybe all of them have a concept. So the idea of rediscovery was um, someone um, sort of transporting themselves, whether they go to sleep or whatever, and they end up um, in this sort of fantasy world. Again, it's in space. <laughs> you know, I love um, <laughs> space, disco, sci-fi. Uh, so I got the idea from Book Rogers. So I've got this theory about Book Rogers, which I'm going to bore you to death now, Sam. Mm. I've told you No, before, no, no, go on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so at the beginning of Book Rogers, he's obviously, um, he gets frozen, doesn't he? And at the beginning of the movie, there's like a dream sequence. And, and in the song, it says, is it real or is it a dream kind of thing? So my idea was, what if Book Rogers was dreaming the whole thing? So obviously, it's a sci-fi. It's meant to be in the future, but everything's like disco in the 70s. So if he did imagine the future, that's kind of how he would imagine it to be. Right. So um, I had this whole idea about someone experiencing something similar, where they're in this sort of fantasy world with sci-fi and laser guns and all that stuff, but it's got a real 70s theme. And then at the end, they have to go back and face reality. So, and I think that's what kind of like making music's like almost. You do, you do get a kind of fantasy land, really, because you've got to sort of explore that creative side to come up with ideas. And when you do finish and you turn your computer off and you're back in reality again, it's, uh, so it's, it's quite an interesting concept, I think. When I spoke to you last time, the only thing I remembered. And I don't, I don't have a, an update on this. Is you told me to watch Galaxina, and I have since not watched Galaxina. <laughs> I watched like two seconds of it. She's got a funny spaceship, right? Like the interior is like carpet and stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's that's all I saw. <laughs> yeah, we we tried to watch it together, didn't we? Because you, you like it, don't you? Yeah. As well, that's one of the things we started talking about actually when we first started. Because I think I mentioned it in the interview, and Sam had heard it, and then that's one of the things that we first started talking about you know because sam watched it on the back of the interview yeah i think i was expecting more boobs or something like just it the movie sort of has this history of like you know it's got the cover and uh you know her outfit and then i saw that i watched a few minutes of it and the interior of the spaceship was all like shag carpeted and stuff and i was like okay and then uh, i just sort of watched through and fast forward (laughs) looking for boobs oh my god i I, I didn't see any No, sorry, sorry I let you down. I should have... Um, well, I should have I, to be fair, I didn't ask you that question. It's not something I often ask publicly of people when they tell me... <laughs> they give me movie recommendations, like, is there boobs? <laughs> the only thing I do that for is my dad always watches all these, like, art house, like, European love movies and stuff, and uh, he's always like, oh, you see this? It's really good. I'm like, is there robots in it? 
Because, like, I just refuse to watch anything unless there's, like, robots or guys in capes punching people through walls and stuff. <laughs> and so anytime he gives me any movie recommendation, I'm like, but is there robots in it? And there never is, and so I don't watch them. Um, yeah, I'm, I, like, I like a good robot. Like, uh, you can't beat a robot sort of sidekick. Okay, so <laughs> robots make him kind of emotional? <laughs> Wait, when they're done right, I mean, I feel the same way. Like, when you have any sort of movie where the robot at the end kind of learns emotion and then has to sacrifice themselves for their buddy, that, like, literally always gets me like the old fucking last minute robot sacrifice yeah it happens all the time even if it's in like some cheesy cartoon fucking big hero six man you know like the thing uh, he punches the kid back through the portal and so that and then he ends up getting trapped in the other dimension and Mm. shuts down and I, how many more are these? There's a ton. Wally, Jesus Christ! You know, and he's like, he's got to save the plant, and he's like getting crushed in that machine. Oh, don't, don't, don't say don't that say to Neil. Don't say that. <laughs> I'll be like, not the robot, not the robot. <laughs> well, like when they're cool robots, because like you know they, uh, I guess it's not quite the same as like you know Terminator or something. But no, oh, no Terminator, right. no, yeah, because he fucking goes down in the fucking lava at the end with his thumbs up, man. It always works. Up, yeah, it's a tale as old as time. <laughs> The robot that learns to love, but then has to kill themselves at the end to save the people. Sad. Yeah. yeah. That's why when I was, when I wanted to make my stupid circuit and breaker show, which I still, I still have like scenes in my head that I wanted to do. And one of them was to flip that convention and like make a point of it because technically the robot is more useful. So I had wrote out this whole like emotional speech where like my character says like, no, I'm not going to let you sacrifice yourself because you're better than me. And like the world needs you more than it needs me kind of thing. Because the robot's always sacrificing themselves, but the robot has all these awesome tools and fucking weapons and rockets and shit. Like, who cares? Fucking let, like, the human should sacrifice himself so the robot can live. (laughs) Anyway, uh, let's listen to the track Everywhere Your Heart Beats from Rediscovery, because this song's awesome. Another one of them catchy choruses you do. Is that cool with you? Yeah. Uh, as long as you can do like an imitation for me after, <laughs> <laughs> as you normally do. Well, you do, you do, you write these things that are so fucking catchy, man. <laughs> and so this one is just another one from the album where, like, whenever it's played, just everywhere your heart beats. Like, I just like it just gets stuck in my head. Uh, so we're gonna listen to that now. <laughs> this is everywhere your heart beats by the Astral Stereo Project.
was the Astral Stereo Project with the track Everywhere Your Heart Beats. And I'm here right now with the Astral Stereo Project, Neil and Polaris Van Samus. And we're talking about robots sacrificing themselves for the good. By your uh, condescending tone, Samantha, I take it you don't care too much for robots? Okay. <laughs> so you just you just brought up something that I would okay, I would get drunk at bars with my friends and go on these hour long tangents about robots and the uncanny valley. Mm. Okay, so I have like this weird fear of automatons. Sure. And I discovered that midway through the Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disney. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I had like this weird freeze panic moment and my brother who was sitting next to me was like, are you okay, Sam? Sam, are you alive? And I just couldn't talk because it's so scary. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay. So when we see something that looks human and we know it's not, we have this weird like evolutionary trait, I guess. That's like, oh, that's not human. Right. I feel like the Uncanny Valley does relate more to when things are just not there. Right. They're almost human. It's like whenever you watch those weird, like, robot things where, like, we have a, an android on stage and, like, it tilts its head funny and, it, like, its mouth moves weird and the eyes don't look in the right direction and, like... Right, and then I throw up, yeah. <laughs> but that doesn't relate to things like Short Circuit and Wally and stuff, right? When they, they're lovable and just have, like, big eyes yeah. and they don't look like a person at all. Right, yeah. They're my favorite, you know, like the star robot that I love tonight in America. Oh, okay. So in the <laughs> grocery store by my house in when I uh, lived in Virginia, you know how they were doing like the security cleanup robot things where the, the robots would kind of like follow you around and see if you're shoplifting, but they would what? like pretend to clean. What? <laughs> Am I making this up? Like, <laughs> Wait, what? In real life? Yeah, yeah. They were like, like vacuums almost and... <laughs> you mean like you? there's a Roomba following you around to see if you're fucking taking shit off the shelves? I swear. Is that, am I making it up? Did we no, like was, dream this? <laughs> she sent me this video because she, she knows that I'm like, I love, I love a good robot. Don't like yourself. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, send me this video. And uh, basically it's this star robot that's just wandering around all day and like, cleaning or, or it alerts when there's something like on the floor you know obstructing it so it alerts somebody to come and clean it up so when i went to virginia to visit we went to the store to see the robot didn't we yeah and i was like starstruck you know i was like there it is <laughs> i saw you on the internet <laughs> i don't think we have that in any of stores up here that i've been to but it's not beyond my imagination i thought for a moment you meant like it was like a like a, a humanoid robot holding yeah. a broom with like a fucking no, it camera like, in its mouth. It was like those vacuums. Yeah, Roomba. Roomba, yeah, but bigger. And they would stick googly eyes on, on this robot. I forget what his name was. Anyway, yeah, and it would just... Um, it's just the cutest one. Yeah. Did it say things? No, but if you pulled out your phone, it would start like blinking, right? It would blink like his lights. And then it would turn around and it would say on the back, I'm I'm busy doing work or something like that. <laughs> like, Got no time for photos. Yeah, yeah, it's like a little, <laughs> I might be making, like this, to be honest with you, everything. This really happened, didn't it? I don't know anymore. <laughs> I'm sure it did. But yeah, it was amazing. Remember there was this uh, hitchhiking robot that went all across Canada where, like, people would just drop it off and other people would pick it up. Mm -hmm. And it went all across Canada and then, like, 
<laughs> when it went to the states, it was like four stops before people just trashed it. Oh no! <laughs> so it went, it went all across Canada, and then it goes into the states, and then someone found it in a ditch, like all fucking smashed up. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's the human <laughs> robots wouldn't do that. Uh, no, but that. Americans would. <laughs> yeah, because I think it was just one of those like sort of cute things where like people would just sort of pick, like it wasn't a ro- I don't even think it spoke or anything. It was just sort of like had a little sign on it like I'm the hitchhiking robot or something. And people would just Aww. take it in their vehicle and then just drop it off at a certain point. Canada must be like a really magical place. <laughs> Oh, we have our fair share of assholes. Don't worry. (laughs) I watched this tarot reader, and she's from Canada, and she was talking about loonies and toonies. Mm. And I was like, oh, that's cute. And that's like your your one and your two. Well, yeah, no, one's one dollar. I mean, (laughs) I guess they're not worth an American dollar. Right, right. But uh, they, uh, yeah, that's uh, the loony is the one dollar coin, and the toonie is the two dollar coin. Aw, it's so cute. A lot of coins. (laughs) Weighs the purse down. Love it. In the States, do they still have $1 bills? Yeah. There's no $2 bill though, right? There is, but you don't really use them and I don't know why. Okay. (laughs) You get them for like Christmas and then your family is like, don't spend it. But there are people who spend it. It's just right. not really that often. Okay, because like in my lifetime, there used to be... Was there a $1 Canadian bill? There must have been. There was a $2 bill that we used for quite... Like I remember as a, as a kid, we had the $2 bill. And then they phased out the one, and then we had the $1 coin, and then we got the $2 coin. It's all... <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to... No, it's true. <laughs> I, I, listen, man, if we want to spread the truth here, that's the whole importance. Right. Loonies and Toonies. <laughs> was she reading someone's fortune that involved loonies and toonies? She was talking about making a money jar. And if you don't know what that is, <laughs> you um, put a bunch of herbs in your jar and you put a couple of like coins or whatever... And that's when she mentioned loonies and toonies. Wait, wait, how have these people managed to co-opt the term money jar to mean something else? Well, like, isn't it just a jar of money? Well, you're supposed to attract money with it, with your magic. Hmm. You know, instead of putting herbs in that jar, I think I'd put a magnet. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's just me, though. I mean, that might work. You should try it. I don't know what the tarot lady would say about that. She'd, uh, I say try it. I don't. I don't know any tarot jokes. I, I I know the card where the guy's hanging upside down and death. That's about all I know. Those are good ones. Yeah, <laughs> classics. <laughs> classics. <laughs> okay. The hanging man and the death. And uh, is there someone with a sword? Yeah, there's a bunch of people with swords. Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about swords, Neil? Yeah, they're all right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't own one. I want to own one, though. Like a real antique sword. He's shaking his head, but I really do. And I want to put it on the wall. I want to make it like a big thing in the living room. I mean, they're cool things to look at. I love swords. Yeah. Yeah. I'm more I'm more interested in sort of that, that kind of stuff than when I go to someone's house and there's like a gun on the wall. I'm like, hey. Oh, yeah. But like swords are cool. I'm not really a gun guy, though. That's just, you know, it's a, it's a different kind of thing. Even though like I love action movies and video games where people are shooting, but when it comes to like actual real ones, not interested. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I prefer a Nest Zapper. A what? A Nest Zapper. What is that? NES Nintendo. Oh, Duck Hunt. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were, like, talking about some sort of, like, defense thing for women, you know, like, that electrocute people. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> well, I well, yeah, I guess. cute like, the word. <laughs> cute the word. 
Can you imagine me with like a Nest Zapper or NES Zapper, whatever you want to call it, and it's like not plugged into anything. You just got like the cord hanging and I'm threatening somebody who's broken into my house with it. Well, I mean, depending on how drugged out they are, maybe they would actually fall for it. Yeah. The problem is it's got all those neon, it's like neon orange, right? Yeah. I have tripods all over my house, like camera tripods. Mm-hmm. Fucking swing those around, man, like a fucking mace. Bam, get the fuck out of my house. <laughs> and then I've got... This is me talking tough. I'd probably just be half asleep and just be like, just take what you want and get out of here. Yeah, I would be crying. Just, to, well, okay, well, <laughs> I'm trying to keep this fucking, like, if we want to go real, I would yeah. be traumatized for life and be an ineffective parent to my children. <laughs> I'm just trying to keep this funny. <laughs> right, right. Sorry. I also wouldn't tell someone to take what they want, because if that person walks out with my PS5, I'm like, fuck you. I can't get another one with this chip shortage, am I right? Yeah. There's a global chip shortage. <laughs> take anything you want except for the PS5, the yeah. camera, the and just list all the things I can't have. <laughs> okay, I apologize. This is a <laughs> weird conversation, and I brought us here. <laughs> so how about this? We're going to get this thing back on track. We're going to move ahead here to August 2019, where Astral Stereo Project put out a self-titled album he wasn't even bothered enough to come up with a title so he says you know what the title is just the name of the band yeah so we're gonna listen to a track from this this is a fun one that once i listened to it i had to send it to my brother because uh when he was in high school he had this crazy girlfriend named Lori, and then you made this song with Lori in the title which was just a a nice coincidence so i sent it over to him but the point is that it's a fun track all right so this is do you remember Lori by the astral stereo project
And that was the Astral Stereo Project with the track Do You Remember Lori? And I am here right now with the Astral Stereo Project and Polaris Van Samus. I found something funny on your band camp. Okay. Uh, it's from Stu M, who is uh, one of my awesome patrons. And he wrote a comment, so I wanted to read it because it made me laugh. It says, uh, Yet another great piece of work by the Astral Stereo Project. Always a quality artist to turn to when you're in need of some great tunes to listen to, either at the beginning of the night or just to chill out at the end of it. To be honest, I think my good lady is getting tired of me coming to bed at night singing, She's a lady. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I just thought that was funny because that's the same thing I do. I remember that, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's great to hear that. So tell me a little about this album. Uh, Yeah, so... When I finished Rediscovery, um, I, I, I usually like to have a little bit of a break from writing, but I went straight into writing something else, but it didn't really have a, a theme. It's probably one of the only albums I've done that doesn't have a theme to it. It's just songs. So I, I decided because it doesn't have a theme, I'm just going to call it The Astral Stereo Project, which I think most artists who have released a lot of albums tend to do sometimes. They'll just release a self-titled album. So I just thought, well, this is it. This is the time. So... Um, <laughs> I also tried to do it as like a summer album, which is not something I've tried to explore that much before. So I tried to um, make it sort of upbeat, but you know me, I can't help but like put some melancholy sort of down moments in it as well. But um, yeah, I think it's it's a bit something a bit different for me. I'm not sure it completely worked, but I'm still glad I did it because there's there's some good tunes in there. It definitely felt a bit more sort of, I don't know if the, the word positive is the word to use, but it's sort of like kind of upbeat sort of than, uh, than some of the other stuff, but I still thought it was, uh, it was cool. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm happy with it. It's just, um, it was like kind of an experiment really. There's a couple of really good songs on it that are, that are like, you know, Gold Diggers, I really liked, you know, uh, I can't remember the songs on it now. <laughs> I can't remember my own lyrics, can I, half the time? No. Uh, sometimes that Sam will ask to say, what, what was that lyric? And I'm like, I can't remember. That's the only reason why I don't even jokingly sing the song sometimes because I don't remember the lyrics. <laughs> and I don't want to do that in front of the artist. Like, when you're here, I do like singing back your choruses to you. But then I realize right as I'm about to do it that, like, oh, wait, I don't remember the words. What am I going <laughs> to substitute them with? Just weird sounds? I wouldn't know anyway, Andy, to be honest. So <laughs> <laughs> you just sing what you like. I wouldn't even know. Choose your own adventure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, so look, Samantha. Yes. Explain this to me. Now, this has been my main... This is back to burlesque now. Okay. Now, this has been my sort of... The the thing about burlesque is sort of that I've always kind of found confusing a bit. Okay. Now, maybe this is more... This is me as an audience, right? Because I'm not a burlesque dancer. Like, when I watch a comedy, for example, like a movie, Mm -hmm. like something that's never worked for me necessarily is like the body comedy body like b-a-w-d-y like you know where it's like it's funny and then like women put their boobs out and like it's a comedy film but then there's boobs in it too like whenever you watch an r-rated comedy Mm -hmm. there's always this idea that well there's going to be a gross out scene where people throw up and there's going to be a scene of boobs and then in more recent films there's a comedic penis shot or something right and that's what makes it an r-rated comedy right but i've always found the weird intersection of sexuality and comedy to sort of if my like sex brain is on then my comedy brain isn't on or vice versa Mm -hmm. to me like when i see something that's like funny and then they show a pair of boobs then all of a sudden i I, i'm a man right so Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden when when i see boobs or whatever then like sex brain turns on okay and it's like oh there's boobs and then it's so then I'm no longer laughing necessarily because now I'm looking at boobs. Okay. 
Now, again, okay. maybe maybe people won't resonate with this, but it's always something I found interesting because, like, whenever they would always do it in comedies, and I always found it weird where I'd be watching a comedy, and then now there's a scene where a naked lady runs out, and I'm like, but naked ladies aren't funny. Like, especially, like, really attractive ones. Like, my first instinct is not to laugh when I see a an attractive naked woman. Like, that's not my immediate reaction. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about, by the way, personal sexual experiences, right? So if you're having goofy fun with your partner and giggling because there's funny noises or whatever, that's one thing. <laughs> Sorry, this is so fucking... <laughs> I apologize. No, no. But when it comes to actual sort of entertainment and performance, I've always found it weird. Like, these two things are at odds. And so when I see burlesque, my understanding is there's a sort of a sexual empowerment aspect but there is also it is also like sexual in nature and sort of display and what I'm wondering is is it all about the performer is there any demand on the audience like if a guy goes to see a burlesque show right Mm -hmm. and gets a boner okay is that an inappropriate like because if a guy goes to a strip club and gets a boner right that's just like what we expect because then they want money right and they give me twenty dollar bills for more boners or whatever but like burlesque isn't necessarily that like you i don't believe the intention is we're here to to titillate maybe they are i was about to say titillate (laughs) to excite the audience in some way but it's obviously not to excite them to the point of like stupid horny dude the same way that a dude would be if he went to the strippers right so this is my my perception of burlesque which is why i've always found it a bit confusing it's like if you go if i go to a burlesque show what does the performer want of me as an audience member like because it's like they want to be sexual, but you obviously don't want dudes in the audience with boners. Mm. So, like... <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> um, <laughs> this is so hard because there's so many different categories of burlesque. Okay. There's nerdlesque, where you dress up as, like, your favorite DC villain or your favorite uh, Marvel superhero or whatever. And that tends to be more on the funny side. It doesn't always have to be. It could definitely be sexy. It really depends on, and it's hard to gauge as an audience member, but every performer is different. Some performers, some burlesque performers actually are strippers full time. Right. So I don't want to speak for them, but just knowing some of them are my closest friends they would say, well, we want your money and it's okay if you have a boner, but I want your money. Right. You know, like, because we're there to perform and the costumes are very expensive and makeup and all of these outfits we have to make ourselves. I mean, when you decide to become a burlesque performer, you're not given costumes. You have to accumulate a a closet, really. And different shows have different themes. So you can't always use the same costume. Basically, what I'm trying to say is it's an expensive hobby and I'm a weird person. So among my own community of burlesque and drag performers, I'm still, I still kind of feel like the odd person out because I don't navigate this life like everybody else. I'm just weird. I don't know if I'm allowed to curse on this show, what? but I'm just weird. <laughs> yes, you right? can. What? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you can say all the words. Oh, yay. Um, so for me, I definitely lean more into physical comedy rather than the the seductive like body movements. I want people to laugh, but it's not like in the way that you're describing. It's more of like a, um, the, the vaudeville, like the slapstick humor, you know, I kind of lean more into that. And you're quite clownish. I am very clownish. (laughs) 
like in real life, you know. So I think she tries to bring that to a yeah, right. And I, like I want to make it clear, like my main, I guess, area of confusion is the the intersection of humor, performance, entertainment, and sexuality. Because mm-hmm. like I understand that burlesque is not the same as stripping, yeah. so I'm not trying to be disrespectful to the art of burlesque. I'm just thinking of this from the the point of view of a man in the audience, mm-hmm. you know. And men are very simple, right? So like when we see something sexually provocative, we will be sexually provoked mm-hmm. and it's not an artist or, or a dancer in this case it, like it's not their responsibility of how an audience reacts or feels yeah but like a sexually provocative dancer must go in with an expectation of how they like want an audience to feel yeah and like that's the part where i'm like you know what are we as the audience meant to be doing mm. you know like clapping and cheering are we supposed to acknowledge the sexiness are we supposed to focus purely on the performance and not acknowledge the sex stuff yeah. like do you know what i mean yeah well when you go to a burlesque show the host will kind of tell you don't touch the performers don't touch their outfits don't follow them right um they're here to put on a show isn't it but, sad that they have to say that? I know. I've definitely been in some pretty scary situations. Sure. But basically what they'll say is if you like something, if you're turned on or if you are if you find something to be funny or it resonates with you, just clap. And then they'll pass around a hat and you like tip the performer. I mean, that's I'm generalizing, yeah. but that's the easiest way I can put it to you. Like, if you get a boner, you can't help that, right? Right, I mean, well, but <laughs> I know it always like, comes down to this boner. What, I, what I'm... <laughs> what, what I'm really trying to say is just because these sorts of things, I think, can be sort of confusing to dudes. Like, dudes can be really confounded by, like, displays of sexuality. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't make it... Obviously, people should always be respectful and not be fucking animals. I mean, like, I get that. Right. That's not, not what I'm saying. Obviously, anyone who is that... Like, the person who you have to give that warning to... Mm. Like before the show starts, like the disclaimer, don't touch the women. Obviously, that guy is a piece of shit. Yeah, that's a completely different thing. But because burlesque has these sort of aspects where it does come very close to in certain instances, you know, people who just full on take off their clothes. Mm -hmm. It's like there is this weird line and it's that line I'm trying to figure out. Like, when does it step into this thing? It's like there could be two identical shows. Mm -hmm. But in this one. The women have pasties on their nipples and there's like fucking trumpets playing in the background and now it's burlesque. But if, you know, fucking Personal Jesus by Depeche Mode was playing and we saw her nipples, then it's a strip show, you know? And Yeah. And every place has different laws for nudity or suggestive nudity or whatever. So it really depends on where you're going to see this show or performance. And I guess what I'm saying is, you know... At the end of the day, I don't really know. I don't really know what the what the line is because I personally know so many different types of performers that engage their audience in completely different ways. Some performers do it to find confidence. Some performers do it for the sexual factor. They like it and that's how they engage with their audience. Some performers just want to tell a story, you know, it kind of fills a void for completely different reasons. So the point is we live in a wonderful, diverse world where all these things can come into play, even in the tiny microcosm of burlesque, that we can still have so much diversity in the way that the performers uh, behave that um, we will never have the answer to this. I'm inclined to agree with you. Perfect. Well, then let's listen to some music. Okay. (laughs) 
<laughs> Maybe I'll skip around here because there was another track of this one I wanted to play, but I feel like I want to make sure I get to some of the, the newer releases. So let's uh, pop on to The Mind of Eddie Quist from 2020. And this is a pretty cinematic album. It always makes me... It's always tricky trying to pick uh, songs from, from these ones because it's very like this would be the soundtrack of a thing. Uh, this was a, a track that stood out to me that I really dig. It's called Eddie at the Bar. And uh, let's listen to that and then we'll uh, keep chatting. So this is, uh, this is Eddie at the Bar by the Astral Stereo Project. That was the Astral Stereo Project with the track Eddie at the Bar. And I'm here right now with 
the Astral Stereo Project, Neil and Samantha Polaris Van Samis. We just got talking about all this burlesque stuff, so now we can move back to Neil and talk about robots. <laughs> yeah. So, Eddie Quist, of course, famously the happiest werewolf there ever was. I've watched that transformation sequence a whole bunch, because this is the, obviously the character from The Howling, is that correct? That's right, yeah. Even though I'm not a big horror guy, there's this thing I do where I, I'll hop onto YouTube and watch like just practical effects from horror movies, especially from the 80s, just because I have an interest in practical effects, even though I don't really like gory things, but I'm just always interested, and so I've watched that him transforming you know there's a scene where he like transforms in front of the lady yeah and it's like a four minute long transformation sequence yeah, you wouldn't get that now would you they'd just be cgi happening in five seconds what i was thinking would be cool which you've never seen because i'm always thinking like what could someone do like something new in this sort of the realm of of werewolf transformations and wouldn't it be cool to just have a three minute transformation but the camera never cuts so obviously in these old ones we got to keep coming back and they must have had like 40 different prosthetics for the, his head because like it keeps cutting back and the reason why I say he was so happy is like for half the transformation he's like got this giant grin on his face you (laughs) know while they're twisting the head around Yeah, because you know the way they can use CGI now to sort of blend between shots like where you'll have the real actor but then they'll do CGI to blend between the real actor and the stunt performer so you can have an unbroken shot where like you know Tom Cruise is running then all of a sudden a rocket things then he goes flying sideways and it's sort of like it's blended with CGI but it still is sort of practical effects and I think it'd be so cool to do a werewolf transformation now where you do it the old fashioned way with like the rubber head that's being morphed around but then you just use CGI to blend between that and the next transitional effect model and then you do one unbroken shot of a werewolf transformation where it's three minutes and the camera never cuts that would be cool yeah and that's important like that it is like three minutes to sort of like show all the sort of agony and pain he goes through you know like in that sequence you can hear all bones cracking and now we're, like I say it'd be over in ten seconds you'd barely be able to see the difference it'd just be like almost like a cartoon yeah I, I hate CGI personally there's just something way more effective and, and frightening about those old werewolf transformations and I think the howling I mean it's one of the main ones right like where people whenever we talk about werewolf transformations in old movies it's just fucking American Werewolf in London and the howling I feel like are the two and that fucking weird one from that movie Jesus what's the one that's kind of like it's Red Riding Hood um, a company of wolves you ever seen that <laughs> yeah yeah I made Sam watch that when quite early on tonight oh yeah i didn't really like that one (laughs) that's the one where they like lose their skin right like and they they transform as sort of skinless and then get the hair back yeah it's a weird one it's like a fairy tale isn't it it's like a dark fairy tale i'm like you i'm not really into really gory horror film i don't really think the howling's that gory Uh, obviously the the transformation is quite um effective but i don't think it's a a violent movie is it yeah i don't think there is any really crazy gory stuff people get shot but i think even the scene where the werewolf kills that lady in a cabin it's like you don't see what he does he just sort of bites her neck i guess and you hear sound effects but you don't see like a wall of blood or whatever yeah i don't mind that you know i just think it's an atmospheric film i'm all about atmosphere really more than than gore so what what is it about eddie quist man i don't know i think i've been playing around the fact that I wanted to do a, a horror soundtrack for a while, but I'd always sort of shit out at the last minute and added a few vocal tracks or something, you know, to turn it into like a more, in terms of the, the listener, a more accessible kind of album. Whereas with this one, I, I kind of saw an opportunity to, to do a, like a real soundtrack. So I think most of the songs are like one, two minutes. 
and it's written like a soundtrack mm -hmm. like Pino Donaggio would have done with the original film so I kind of took a chance really and just thought I, I want to do like a, a real if I was going to do a prequel to The Howling which is the, the titles from the film itself are going to do like a documentary on him and it's called The Mind of Eddie Quist so that's what I called the album and I'm going to approach it like a, like a real soundtrack and, and not shit out the last minute and actually follow through with my original plan so I, I realize that not everybody will enjoy that kind of thing because the songs start and kind of end rather quickly but I'm, I'm really happy with it I think it turned out really well when I say I have difficulty picking tracks to play on the show from albums like this it's it's because of that very thing like sometimes there are just certain albums that are meant to be listened to like okay this is a soundtrack to a movie and it is really weird to go let's play track four that's just kind of this weird atmospheric thing for like a minute and a half you know it's hard to sort of cut to that and then cut back to like yeah. whimsical conversation yeah like I say, I've, I've, I've attempted to do it a couple of times. I mean, I remember Disco Death Sleeves was meant to be a soundtrack, but that changed completely. And uh, Farewell to Paradise was the same. But this time I actually went through with it. It's very authentic. Like what you're going for, you are like, you are achieving the goal. Yeah, that, that's the feedback I've had. And, and feedback from like fans of The Howling as well, because obviously a lot of the sound design and everything's based on the, the original soundtrack. I wanted them to be able to fit together in some sort of way. So people who are like fans of the Howling have actually messaged me and said it's really good or, you know, and that that's, I realised that when I made the album, I made it for a very, very small amount of people, right. <laughs> you know, who, who just like the Howling. So, um, you know, it was just something I really wanted to do and, and, and to get feedback like that was, has been really, really, really great and it was worth it. How do you feel about the, uh, the sequels to The Howling. Ooh, I like the second one. It's so it's one of them so bad it's good kind of. Uh, Christopher Lee's in it. You know, he, he tries his best to, to keep, keep the thing afloat. Yeah, I've only seen one scene. I like I looked it up on YouTube and there's like some old lady that just starts to transform on the ground. He just like stabs her and then they some young couple drives away in a car and they don't notice that there's a werewolf in the backseat. Yeah. That's all I know about that movie. And, and it's so cheap, you know. It's basically uh, blocks and suits, you know. There's no, like, practical effects as such. It's uh, it's really cheap, but I, I still quite like it in, in that sort of awful way. I can't defend it, really, but I can't even recommend it to anybody, but I, personally, I think it's okay. But the rest of them are, are awful. Yeah, I think one of them takes place in Australia, and they turn to, like, a marsupial wolf yeah. or something. I think that one's really fucking weird. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, if you want, if that's what you want to see, then fair dues, but... <laughs> if that's what you want to see. Like, <laughs> anyone's ever been asking for that. <laughs> Can make, like, a werewolf movie, except they're, like, kangaroos. <laughs> so how about you, Sam? How do you feel about werewolves? Um... <laughs> Okay, so in the Bram Stoker Dracula mm. with Gary Sexy Oldman, yep, when he turns into a werewolf and he's naughty with the uh, what's her name Lucy, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember the sex scene that was hot. <laughs> <laughs> the creature effects in that movie are really good. Yeah, like the makeup in that movie is awesome. Oh yeah. You mean you didn't find him as sexy when he was like that weird mutant bat thing? I did. <laughs> I did find him. <laughs> I'm weird, I think. I just remember being all weirded out that scene at the end where Winona Ryder's kissing him when he's all, like, when he turns old again and he's all crazy looking. Yeah. He's got, like, blood all over his face. I would. I still would. I mean, Gary Oldman's a cool guy. Yeah. Well, look, the... <laughs> <laughs> 
point is. You don't know uh, any burlesque dancers in the Virginia burlesque scene that where where werewolf is part of the costume? They have like a furry tail or something? I'm pretty sure. If you're going to go on a furry tangent. Furries I find <laughs> strange, but I, I know very little about it. So okay. there's not too much Me I can too. say other than from the point of view of a person who just finds it weird. Okay. But you never know how that stuff's going to date later on. Am I going to be one of those That's people true. who just sit there and goes like, man, these people are so weird. And then like 20 years later, it like makes you sound like an old man. Yeah. It is weird as hell, though. Let's be fair. I mean, I just said <laughs> that I would have sex with werewolf Gary Oldman, so. Yeah, but you're also thinking about Gary Oldman. True. And True. The, and there's the knowledge, too, because there's that whole thing, you know, that he's he is the man, but then he also transformed into the beast when it's the right time or whatever. Whereas, like, if you just saw that full-on beast coming at you, like, ruffling through your cupboards or something, you'd be like, what the fuck, you know? <laughs> Especially when he licks his own bollocks. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that's, that's your chance to escape. Right, right, right. I don't know. I'm sure I've probably seen, like, a werewolf type of burlesque performance. I'm sure it's been done. <laughs> I love the stupid things I talk about with my guests. <laughs> Look, uh, we, we got to listen to some more music. So I'd like to listen to this track from The Sorcerer, which is the newest Astral Stereo Project, another sort of soundtrack style album. Yeah. And uh, and this is a cool one. And this was, uh, I love this track. Uh, it's just a short little piece. It's called uh, Driving Up the Path Slash The Guests Arrive by The Astral Stereo Project. was the Astral Stereo Project with Driving Up the Path slash The Guests Arrive from the Sorcerer album. And maybe you can tell me a bit about the plot of this sort of fictional film, but I feel like I imagine it in my head. 
there's some kind of mansion there's occult stuff there's some songs about uh, demons and shit so I feel like there's like some weird rich guy that brings people to his house and yeah. you know stuff like that part of like <laughs> what's good between me and Sam is uh, we, we just talk out these like really weird sort of stories <laughs> sometimes you know like what would happen if uh, this happened you know so we, we had this uh, concept of a, um, a sort of uh, reclusive old performer who lives in a mansion and he invites richer members of society high society to view something that they've never seen before you know for the right price and so they all flock to this mansion um all done up want to, waiting to see this amazing show and really all he's gonna do is whatever he's gonna do and horrible things happen and and that's kind of the loose concept we had wasn't it yeah can we spoil the end do you want to spoil the end if you want to. well I, okay i'm looking at the the track titles okay mm-hmm. so we know this guy's called sir ravenstone right now does he look like gary oldman or christopher lee <laughs> well i think we're going more christopher lee um, for sure for sure. So Sir Ravenstone invites people to his house and they do this thing and he resurrects the demon. And then there's the, at the end of the film, there's this track that's called And There Were None, but it's almost like sort of a waltzy dancing kind of thing. Correct. And so I imagine that there's, that the demon ends up killing everybody, but maybe it ends where he's got like the lady, there's like a lady left over and she's like the final lady and they sort of do like this kind of dance around all Ooh, the corpses. I like that one. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. I think the idea is you can, kind of make what you want of it but the original was that it would just be and then there were none so it was like an empty room kind of like uh, and then sort of creepy music playing like The Shining you know yeah. right but then he traps their souls so they dance forever in, in the room, yeah. in the games room I guess I was picturing kind of like you know the movie Legend yeah where there's a sequence where he changes her and she's wearing like a black dress all of a sudden but it yeah. but if it was like not necessarily that she'd be in a black dress but that if that scene went the way that darkness wanted where he would actually be dancing with her. Yeah. But she's like maybe in like a white kind of flowy sort of gown sort of thing. Just because waltzy music. This is what I thought of in my head. Waltzing. Yeah. I mean, that works as well. Yeah. Absolutely. I've been trying to get uh, Sam to watch Legend, actually, which he won't because mm. Tom Cruise is in it. Oh, I don't like Tom Cruise. It's young Tom Cruise, though. It's it's He's still got uh, funny teeth and stuff. Okay. Yeah. It's acceptable, Tom Cruise. Right, okay. <laughs> it's got nothing to do with him. Like, it, you you watch Legend because of Tim Curry. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't know Tim Curry was in it. It's Ridley Scott as well, isn't it? He's darkness. Like, it's a, it's fucking awesome. Oh, it is awesome. Okay. So. Now, that being said, like, I don't want to build it up too much because, like, as a movie, it's kind of a mess. Like, the theatrical cut has some choppy editing. It feels like things are missing, but that's the better version because of the Tangerine Dream score, and it's the version I prefer. Me too. Yeah. So part of why I like the movie is partially nostalgia based. So Sam, like you might see right through that and go like, what the fuck is this shit? Like, <laughs> but it just has such a unique fantasy dreamlike atmosphere. Like the score is awesome. Mm. Uh, the makeup effects for Tim Curry as darkness is still like some of the best. Like right. it's a fucking awesome costume. Interesting. It's got nothing to do with Tom Cruise. You don't even have to worry about him. Okay. Are you going to watch it then? I'm going to watch it. Good. Okay. And the score is great. And the unicorn theme is like one of my favorite like synth themes. It's just such a great song. Tangerine Dream were just so good at them soundtracks, you know, Risky Business. And I think they did Sorcerer as well, which was a great film as well. So everything that I've heard them do soundtrack wise... They do uh, Thief as well. Yeah. So I'm just a big fan of them. Yeah, they made some classic scores for sure. There's like some awesome tunes. But look, we got to get back to your album. (laughs) And uh, I have a question. There's this track here called Summoning of the, and then you've spelt it D-A-I-M-O-N. Right. 
<laughs> so how do we pronounce that? Damon, diamond. Because when I was looking at it, I was just like, is this like a fucking Rihanna thing? Like, is this like the summoning of the diamond? Okay, so, so <laughs> quick tangent. Mm-hmm. When the pandemic started, I said I was going to become the mad sorceress that I've always wanted to be. And people are going to laugh and that's okay. But I've definitely, I've gotten into like the occult and the healing arts and magic, but I'm not talking about pulling a bunny out of a hat magic, you know? Sex magic. Magic with a K. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So Neil was asking, do you know any like occult words? That would be, and I was like, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? You know, that was the best I can come up with. (laughs) That was your song, really, wasn't it? Like, purely your song. Yeah, we were laying in bed, and I was like, sorry. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) magic. I was like, I have this song in my head, and he was like, okay, sing it. And I had all of these instruments in my head, and I just kind of sang it to him, and I was like, and then it goes like this, and it goes like this, and then he gets out of bed, he turns on his computer, loads up Logic, and he just starts playing the song. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. There's this old Doctor Who episode from the 70s where they spelt it Mm D-A-E-M-O-N, but it's that weird A-E combination letter that I... I don't know what that's called. Yeah, John Pertwee? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think they say demons in it. Yeah. Like, they say the word demon, but it's spelled D-A-E. But then they did this thing, because it's Doctor Who, so there's always got some sci-fi, so even though they're full-on devils, it's like they come from the planet Deimos or something, and like mm-hmm. that's that's where devils come from, and that's what they look like over there. They look like gargoyles and things. Right. Don't worry, kids. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's just like an ancient spelling or something like that. I don't know. What is that symbol called? Is like that that weird A that's combined with an E that shows up sometimes. And I feel like it must have its own word. I don't know. Because sometimes you'll see it where it's like, it's not just an A followed by an E. They're sort of like stuck together. Right. Yeah, I know what you mean. I don't know, though. Hmm. What if I just keep asking you? Well, eventually, you yeah. know. <laughs> We might have called it that, but we couldn't find the key on the keyboard for it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure it's a macros. Like, there's, there's got to be a macro for it. Like, hold Alt and press A and then shift E or something. And right. That's how macros work. We just come to ass. <laughs> we'll go with diamonds. <laughs> Yeah, but this is this definitely like this is a cool album. I was listening to it. We were on a long drive, and uh, and so I was listening to this and sort of imagining the film, and uh, just because the way you sort of nail that sound, like I do picture Christopher Lee. Like I just you see his face, and just like oh yeah, Christopher Lee's this. Like, he's the fucking count. Like yeah. that's what time frame this movie takes place in. You know, be watching stuff like uh, The Devil Rides Out. You know, yeah. and, and you know the Dennis Wheatley books and stuff, and the Night of the Demon, the, the mm-hmm. film Night of the Demon. I don't know whether you've seen that in all. Is it fifties? film and that was really influential on the album as well so yeah it covers all that kind of thing British countryside mansion you know uh, rich eccentric yeah that's the kind of thing we were going for well it's uh, it all sounds good to me good (laughs) (laughs) I love when there's just that space like just (laughs) yes (laughs) well you know doing something like this again it's it's, you don't really it's taking a chance a little bit because the sound's a little bit different again so I never know whether people are going to like it or not so you you never really know until you release it whether it's going to take or not for my personal taste I feel like because when you do these sort of albums that are very like that they're soundtracky but I feel like this one I sort of resonated with more because it was a bit synthier mm. and it does have that, that sort of 70s vibe to it and I dug the melodies and stuff in it um, 
Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where my music terminology ends <laughs> with synthy stuff. I mean, what else do you call it? I, I, mean, I don't know. You think I would know yeah. by now. Right. <laughs> but <laughs> I still don't. Right. It's synthwave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get like, uh, yeah, people will throw rocks in my house if I say that. <laughs> no, it's a pure synthwave, man. Pure synthwave was, you know, 2010 to 2013, and Ooh. it's this specific BPM, and it's these instruments, and no singing. And <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's synthwave, really. I don't know. I use synths, but um, I'd kind of agree. It's more like a psychedelic synth rock, mm, would you say? Yeah, for sure. I just, I just do what I, I feel like doing. I think that's the, the sort of position that I'm in, and I can do that, so... Well, that's that's what I want artists to be doing, man. That's the main thing, you know, when you're sort of compelled to create art and that's the stuff you do. It's the more cynical stuff. It's when people like kind of pop on the scene and go like, oh, I've got to have a name that looks like this and I got to make songs that are called this and it's got to have this poly six bass line and this stuff. And then it's like, well, then what the fuck are you doing? Right. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just can't imagine people like have an artistic compulsion and then every aspect of their being is like derivative, you know? Oh, yeah. And I think there was definitely a time where I was going online and arguing with these people. And <laughs> I've since distanced myself <laughs> so much. Don't do that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know that I just I don't even really know what the audience thinks anymore and i don't really care to be honest right and the main problem i see is like if you hyper focus on what synthwave is and your definition is hyper specific then if everyone follows these rules and everything is going to sound the same and then you're just going to bitch about everything sounding the same <laughs> exactly if someone asked me i would probably say um, i do synthwave but although i deviate away from it occasionally it's normally my sort of route I enjoy listening to Synthwave and I'll, I'll always kind of come back to it and, and try to do something like it. But, you know, if I try and do Synthwave, it doesn't really come out right. Right, so yeah, I've, yeah. Well, I've got to make it the way I make it and I don't know, I don't know whether I'm Synthwave or not, but that's kind of what I class myself as because I think that's the closest thing. Well, you know, I mean, my policy has always been Synthwave is like just the that umbrella that we all sort of sit underneath and everyone's sort of hitting different angles on the thing. Yeah. And you do your thing and you're sort of in a in a class of your own because not not many other people really do it. I can't even think of I can't I like honestly like you have one of the most distinct sounds of people who have ever been sort of in this in this scene because I, I I don't know another person that even does anything close. I mean, the closest thing I can think of was like Dallas Campbell, but more more that he just made stuff that had that sort of psychedelic kind of late seventies vibe. But it was kind of more guitars and stuff. He might have been inspired by some like the same time period, mm -hmm. but it's not like the music sounds the same. Yeah. Anyway, look, how about this? Let's listen to some. I wanted to listen to some uh, sort of cinematic tracks, and I was going to pop back to uh, to Astral Stereo Project because I wanted to listen to the song Into Blue. Blue, yeah, which is a song I really enjoy. So let's do that, and then we'll we'll keep talking. So this is uh, this is Into Blue by the Astral Stereo Project.
And that was the Astral Stereo Project with the track Into Blue. And I'm here right now with both the Astral Stereo Project and Polaris Fansamus. We've been talking about lots of things today. Robots and burlesque, boners, werewolves. What else? <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> That's about yeah. it. The occult. Do you really have a weird feeling about that the self-titled Astral Stereo Project album? Every time I pick a track from that, I feel like your reaction is sort of like, "Why is he doing this?" No, uh, no, weird. Um, I don't know. I, I, I kind of like it. There's, there's a lot I do like about it. Um, <laughs> but I think it goes back to what I was saying. You know, I think that was me trying to do a synthwave album, and so I'm not 100 percent sure it worked. But it's it is what it is. <laughs> I never asked this. Why do you call yourself Polaris Van Samus? Because there's a Samus in there, which makes me think of Metroid. But is that what you're thinking of? Absolutely. Okay. So do you remember when you would type in Justin Bailey and then you'd get the green-haired Samus? Justin Bailey was the main code, right? That was just the right. unlock everything code or whatever? Yeah. So there's that. And then Polaris, like X-Men, Lorna Dane, Magneto's daughter, who also has green hair. And Van, like Van Halen. So wait, so this is about green hair? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I have this weird thing for green hair. I don't know. I don't have a favorite color. Like, I love different colors for different things. But green hair just does something to me. It unleashes the beast. It does, yes. Well, that's cool. I'm playing the new Metroid game right now. Somebody told me I should play it, but... Okay, so, Andy... Mm. (laughs) Hello. I've never beaten a Metroid game, okay? I am somewhere between a fake gamer girl and a real fake gamer girl. Well, okay, but to be fair, they are challenging. Like, I know. Again, the term gamer is a funny one, especially in this day and age, because I feel like there's a lot of people who do way more gaming than I do who don't consider themselves gamers because what? Because they don't play, like, hardcore games, you know? Like... My wife, every day, she's always playing Toon Blast, and she's probably playing Toon Blast more than I'm playing Ghost of Tsushima, the uh, the samurai open world game, which is awesome. Yeah. But yeah, she's not going to walk around going, I'm a gamer. Right, yeah. But I'm like, well, you play more games than me. <laughs> My parents-in-law, is that what you call them? Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're literally on their phones all the time playing solitaire and stuff. That's a video game. Right. But they're not going to go outside and go, I'm a gamer. Right. I'm like, well, you play solitaire for like four hours a day. Like, you're playing yeah. more games than I am. Yeah. But, you know, to your point, I don't think I've... No, I beat the Super Metroid, and the new one is really good, but it's, like, it's complex. You know all these new games where they make you memorize, like, 80 buttons? Yeah. So, in the new Metroid game, it's like, when you want to fire rockets, you got to hold R1, but then you hold L1 to do the 360 aiming, and then fire, but then you hold R2 to make the, the gun turn into a grapple gun. Right. So, when you're fighting bosses that require you to know everything, which I just fought one, where it's like, you're firing missiles, but then I got to use the grapple. And I'm like an old man, and like I'll literally just forget. Yeah. I get into the boss fight again. I'm like, oh fuck, grapple, oh shit, and then I jump, and then I fucking slide into the ball, and I'm like, damn it, and then I die, and I get all annoyed because like, yeah, I had to know all these button combinations. Exactly. That's exactly how I play those games. Mm. Yeah, I have bad hand-eye coordination as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> But whatever. Was her hair actually green in the Nintendo, or is that just an effect of the graphics? I think that was the what happened after the you typed in the Justin Bailey cheat code. Oh, okay. It was specifically, because she, she is like, blonde, right? But correct. Yeah, she she has blonde hair and like a blue suit. 
but the Justin Bailey code gave her green hair and like a fuchsia pink looking suit. Okay. Yes, yeah. see, I don't remember that. So what I'm trying to say is I don't believe you and I'm going to fact check this <laughs> and then I'm going to insert okay. a thing in here that's like <laughs> Samantha <laughs> was lying. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, how about you, Neil? How do you feel about uh, Metroid? Honestly, uh, I couldn't tell you where it is. <laughs> Other than that's a game, which I now know because of this conversation. But Well, you don't really play um, games, do you? What do you do in your spare time? Um, Hang out with your wife? <laughs> Boo! <laughs> <laughs> uh, I used to play games. I, I played games um, sort of early 90s, so I would like Commodore Amiga and, and Mega Drive. And then I, I kind of give it up. Because I started playing music again, so it sort of took over, you know. I mean, I guess some people can juggle both, but when I've got any spare time, I'm usually making music or watching movies or... Yeah, uh, you really love... He loves films and documentaries, and I can't really do, a do- like, a documentary, especially, yeah, like, a music documentary. documentary. I, I know, I hate them. I don't know why. I love music. I love documentaries, but I can't do a music documentary. And every time he's done, he's like... Hey, so did you know that this singer was originally in this band? And did you know that he knew this person from this band? And just like, it doesn't stop. That's what being watching like David Bowie and uh, Iggy Pop. Yeah. (laughs) And they all knew each other. Yeah, well, I find all that fascinating, you know, how um, someone's sound or or music evolves over time and the influences they have with other artists and things like that. I find all that fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Did you want to talk about the other release you put out? I know it's not really Synthwave per se, but like you put out an album under your own name, which was uh, a folk kind of vibe but there were still some synths in there like in some ways uh it, it reminded me of um old children's animations i'd see when i was a kid like i remember there's this uh, weird show called flower stories which had like, a really nice opening it is and a lot of them 70s uh like wind in the willows and um stuff like that huh? yes yes wind in the willows that's another good example so it's like a folky sort of soundtrack which what is that what is me. that one cartoon that you talk about a lot the mysterious world or uh, Mysterious Cities of Gold. The Witch? Yeah. Yeah. That's the synth soundtrack, that. Wait, what year is that? That's like um, 1983, 84, maybe. I've got, I've got the soundtrack on vinyl. It's it's still quite popular. I think it's like a French TV show that was... But the, the thing that stood out for me from being a kid was the music. It's very synthy. Right. It's kind of like Vangelis, isn't it? In, in mm. a way. But yeah, it's a, it's a brilliant soundtrack. The, the actual series is actually really good. You know, it's... A lot of the cartoons were, like, episodic, really. But this was a whole story. So you had to... If you missed one, you know, you, you didn't know where the fuck you were the next time. <laughs> so <laughs> That's pretty rare for a cartoon at that time. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's the same people who did Ulysses 31. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's very similar. God, the 80s had um, some great cartoon theme songs. Yeah. Holy yeah, smokes. Ulysses is amazing, yeah. Those are some of the best uh, uh, montage videos to watch on YouTube where they just like, here's 20 awesome, you know, like theme songs from 80s cartoons. And they're all amazing, even for shows I never even watched. Yeah. Like, I never watched that fucking Jace and the Wheeled Warriors, like epic hair metal song. Like, Wheeled Warriors! It's like, it's so awesome. Like, <laughs> I've never seen the damn show and I have no interest to, but the song was amazing. Yeah, it was the, uh, there was one called Run With Us. Was that from the Raccoons? Oh, that song's great. And uh, she's Canadian too, I think. Like, Lisa Lafayette. 
speed. Uh, but what I've never known for sure is if that song was written for the show or if it was already made and they just used it as the raccoons theme song. Because she has a whole music video like where they're like doing choreographed dancing and stuff. It's a great pop song. Yeah. I feel like there was an Ollie Ride song where I remember I sent him that because I'm like, there's there's one part of his chorus that reminded me of Run With Us and I think he acknowledged it. Yeah. He, Ollie's another artist who kind of plays on the uh, the 70s sound because when we were talking about 70s sound in particular, we couldn't come up with any other artists, but I was like, the only person that I know of is Ollie, who kind of, but but he's more pop 70s, like pop rock. I think there's also something about, it's the type of music that the inspiration comes from. Right, yeah. Because synthwave is fictional 80s, right? So like, because a lot of the music that you hear in the synthwave scene, and I love it, but it's not necessarily music you would have heard in the 80s. It's sort of like this weird fusion of video game music, but played with Korg samples from like an 80s keyboard mixed with some kind of like 90s industrial elements. And like, there's sort of, it's like this weird fusion of stuff. Whereas I feel like, you know, Ollie, when he does the synth pop, he's really inspired by like actual synth pop music of that time period. That's a good point. Yeah. And the same with Astral Stereo Project is like, you know, some of this stuff is just as 80s as I would say other synthwave stuff is, but it sounds more legitimately like this could have been a record in 1982. Right. You know, this could have been a record in 1983 where the music was getting into 80s stuff, but still has that 70s flair. You know, there's people still have like strings in the songs and there's guitar and piano, yeah. but it sounds like a legitimate thing from that time. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of synthwave music doesn't sound like it. Like synthwave music to me is modern music. Right. You know, because even like the original OutRun stuff was very video gamey. It's like it's video game music. Right. Yeah. OutRun is what brought me into the synthwave genre, I guess. I'm always wondering that sort of like that line, because I, f- I do feel mm-hmm. like OutRun sort of is what morphed into Synthwave, and so I think there's yeah. there's some okay, music, yeah. yeah, like where if you listen to OutRun now, people would just say that's Synthwave. Yeah, that's a good point, yeah. But then I'm not one of those pedantic nerds, so it's hard to... <laughs> <laughs> well, look, how about this, though? How about we can wind this thing down? Why don't you pick a song to play, and then we'll play that song, and then we'll, we'll wind down. Cool. Oh, wow. On the spot now. Um, from any album, or did you want it from specific one? Not from anything. It's, it's all good. Dealer's Choice. We're all Starlight AE. I was thinking the same. Yeah. <gasps> oh my gosh. <laughs> I think Starlight AE will go with, if, you, if you've got that one. I certainly do. So <laughs> let's give it a spin. Uh, this is Starlight 80 from the album Cassiopeia by the Astral Stereo Project.
And that was Starlight 80 by the Astral Stereo Project. And we're back right now with the Astral Stereo Project and Polaris Van Samus. And we can wind this down. We've had a nice, big, long episode. When there's like two guests here, I like to spend more time and, and get to know everybody. But is there is there anything we didn't talk about that you want to talk about? Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe you mentioned that you were on one of my albums. Oh, yeah. You know what's weird? I think the version I have of that album is the pre-release. Right. Because I have a version of that same song, but it's like, not me. Ah. And I remember, yeah, I remember I recorded some audio for you, but then when I play that album, it's like a a robot voice, or it's a a very quiet voice. You sort of hear it in the background that just does the Venus Starlight Orchestra thing. Yeah, there's a... How do you not not know this? (laughs) There's like an earlier version of that song. Is there? Yes. I didn't authorize that. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> I'm terrible, honestly. I'm so um, disorganized. There's probably like different versions of each album out there I thought somewhere. that was like intentional. No. I would have said something. <laughs> no. Andy's version is the definitive Okay. Yeah, I had fun uh, recording that stuff. Whenever people ask me to do voiceover things, and I do, I always uh, include like a minute of just gibberish of me like fooling around with the mic. I could have made a track out of that. And of course, <laughs> I sent you a ridiculous thing, which we don't necessarily have to play for people, but your your album... <laughs> Yeah, which you just put out as Neil uh, Holdsworth on a separate band camp. And it's a, it's a lovely album. And you wrote this song that I was very compelled to sing on. I don't know why. And I sent it to you. And I felt so bad. I was just like, he better find this funny. It's like, he better find this funny because I was laughing my ass off. But I know you do put your, your heart into, you know, the, the songs you write. And so it didn't occur to me till after I sent this thing. So just to let the audience know, it's like it, he's got this, this, this lovely track and it's sort of like an emotional kind of track. <laughs> and then I thought it would be funny to sing some joke lyrics and send it back to him. And it was only after I sent it that I was like, oh no, like what if this is like a, like a really personal song about like, like someone's dead or something. And then I've just written joke lyrics and sent it back to him and said, hi. Uh-huh. And then I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I was like, I was really worried, honestly, until you guys answered me. No, we laughed now, right? No, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, he came into the room and he was like, listen to this, listen to this. <laughs> I was like, who's that? And he was like, it's Andy. And I was like, he's got a good voice. Yeah, he has, yeah. Well, that's it's a joke. That's a joke. Because like, I, I do usually joke Depeche Mode voice. But then the music you wrote, it conjures this sort of like Cat Stevens out of me. <laughs> Where I want to sing in like this weird, like it's it's a silly voice to do, but just and just the name Mary Ann, like there's just all these things that just trigger like just sort of seven. And Mar- that was what I did. Your song wasn't called Mary Ann, but like just the second I like. <laughs> Maybe that version's out there, for all I know. You know, there's multiple versions of my songs, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I never I never publicly shared that with anybody. <laughs> that was that was just for you. It's the bootleg version. Yeah, but it made me think that one of these days we got to collab on a complete joke album in that style. That would be amazing. You write yeah. the music. Because <laughs> it's weird. Like, sometimes people write music and you're just, like, compelled to sing. And I was compelled. I mean, like, the, the lyrics were stupid, but, like, it made me want to do that. Aww. But uh, people should go go listen anyways, because it's a, it's a nice album. Yeah, I couldn't put it out as Astral Stereo. It's just, I mean, I know I like to deviate, but that was just too different. And I did play with it, didn't I? Yeah. Before Astral Stereo Project, there was NC Holdsworth. And that was mostly just, like, your folk stuff yeah. that you would sing 
at like bars and stuff. Yeah, and it was just too too different, and, and it's too much of a if you're not into it, it's just too much of a turn off. So I just thought I'll put it out on a, my own page, and if it gets listens, then great. It's had, it's had a few, hasn't it? So it's mm-hmm. it's, it's been all right. Like the theme from "Don't Wait for Me" is a is a great song. That's what sort of reminds me when I I sent you the link to uh to Flower Stories. Like that sort of vibe. Like I just like the that nice vibe. And and my favorite track is the one I sang, which is called "Home." which is uh, an awesome song as well. Yes, yeah, it's a nice little sort of folk album. There's still some synth in there, but I understand separating it from Astral Stereo. Yeah, and I don't know whether I'll do that again, but if, if I feel the urge, then I've always got that other channel to put it on. I know well, quite a few other artists do it, don't they? So. Yeah, that's something I've always wrestled with, like whether I like it when an artist has multiple musical aliases. You know, like since I know people who have a synthwave thing and then they go, I'm going to start a dark synth band with a different name. And <laughs> for me personally, like I already have too many aliases to remember. Yeah. So then I usually advise people not to do that. Because <laughs> I'm like, oh, fuck me. Now you got like five different bands. I have to remember all these things now and it's all kind of the same. In the case of yours, though, it's it's different enough. But then again, it's also like, you know, if you listen to Bee Gees from the 50s and 60s and you listen to Bee Gees from the 70s and 80s, it's like, it's very different music. But I mean, I guess the singing's kind of the same. Right. Yeah. And, and I do like artists that sort of evolve over time. And the Bee Gees are a really good example of that. Where uh, it got to the point where I was doing the cover and I had Astral Stereo Project on the front. But it just didn't feel right. So I just put it out on, it, on this different channel. Well, the bottom line is there's lots of great music out there for people to listen to. Yes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> is that the... <laughs> <laughs> and Sam, you're working on a music project as well, right? Yeah, I guess Neil and I are working on music together. I'm working on an album with uh, my friend back home, so in That's America. That's really good. Yeah, we're almost done mastering everything. It's taken like two years. Is this going to be one of these weird things again where this always happens where I, I have somebody on the show and then like by the time I edit the interview, then they have new music out. And then it's really weird that like, you know, you'll have this album, but this whole show is just playing astral stereo music and I could have been playing your music as well. And <laughs> they're going to drop at the same time and then I'm going to look like an asshole. <laughs> no, but it would be nice to come back if you'll have me. When it's, uh, when it's, uh, I never have returning guests. That is not something we do here. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, Neil. I'm gonna I'm gonna silence all of your parts. <laughs> yeah, but other than that, we like I say, I'm I'm like you, Andy. And I think you mentioned in your last interview that we did that you you got ideas all the time. And I'm almost thinking two, three albums in the future. You know, it's just rearranging which one comes to the front first and needs finishing. So I've always got a few things on the go. And obviously with Sam as well, we're writing together. So there's there's going to be like the music's not going to stop. We're just going to keep making more and and try and do a few a few more different things maybe take a few more risks I don't know but there'll be plenty more albums to come and some more with you know more vocals as well because I know the last two haven't had any I don't think have they Mm -mm. explain when you say you guys like are working on stuff together now what does that mean exactly technically well Um, I'll continue with Astral Stereo won't I so basically I am not a musically inclined person I am I'm a poet I'm a lyricist I can sort of sing are you a beat poet uh no, not really. <laughs> but he'll he'll write something and I'll come in and I'll be like, I hear something. There's a frequency that's off. Something's not right. And I'll sit down and kind of tweak it and fix it. Did you ever watch Garth Marenghi's Dark Place? Yeah. <laughs> we love that, yeah. We- <laughs> so is this like one of those things where it's like, 
uh, uh, it shows who who scored the thing, but then based on tunes uh, whistled by Garth Marenghi or whatever. <laughs> right, yeah. You come in the room and go like, uh, how about something like, doo, 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 and then Neil goes away and figures I mean, it out. kind of what it is. <laughs> I mean, also, like, we don't just collab on music stuff. He's helped me. I was in a virtual drag burlesque show and we had to film it in the house because pandemic mm. and he did the whole he he recorded the whole thing and i edited it and um that was a really cool experience working with final cut pro uh what were we working with adobe premiere i think we're just moving like, I'm I'm movie. My, movie. <laughs> all, all effects were in front of camera yeah we did yeah we didn't we didn't <laughs> no use a, we didn't use a green screen we didn't use like any <laughs> after effects or anything it was like the the silliest video ever, but it was so it was so us like fog machine. Um, did you set up the fire alarm? We did. Nice. Yes. <laughs> Classic. Yep. Yeah, I saw some. Cl- I haven't seen the whole thing. I've just seen the clips that you've uh, posted online, but it looked good. Lots of colors and things. Yeah, I might actually piece together an alternate version and um, put it on my Patreon or something. I'm trying to get a Patreon started, but I don't know. We'll see. Because we have, we have so many really good shots that we just didn't use. Well, that's a good idea. So that looked fun. So then, Neil, you were doing all the, the filming. Yeah, so I did help with the lighting and um, like just setting the mood, really, and trying to think of angles and, and the way to move the camera and stuff. So it's not something I've ever done before, so it was quite a few sleepless nights yeah. going through all that in my head to try and get it right because uh, I knew it was important to Sam but it was a lot of fun actually and I think we want to do more don't we more yeah. videos I don't know how it's going to end up you know I, I think I'm going to continue with Astral Stereo Project I mean Sam you know she'll help me with uh, you know suggestions and things yeah. but I think if we do sort of collaborate it'll be as something else yeah if we do like a like a proper collaboration on a song we might release it under a different name but for now I'm just I'm kind of just helping him when he asks for it. And maybe I'll do some background vocals, but we'll see. So what's the thing that you're working on then? Your your thing. It's a band. It's just me and my friend Aaron. And our band is called Gemini Paladin. And Jordan Noir made the album art. I'm definitely not going to say it's synthwave, but there's synths in it. It's dark. I like synths. <laughs> <laughs> what did uh, Zarina say? She said it was... um smoky and sultry or something like that and i was like yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna stick with that all right i like sultry smoky that's what i used to do when i was like picking up ladies (laughs) i'd like uh, take a big puff of smoke and then just blow it in their face and be like hey baby (laughs) it worked every time i bet that's how you do it. But then I set off the fire alarm, so... Right, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Always ruin everything. What's going to happen is, you know, I record these interviews months and months in advance, mm-hmm. and your album better not come out until the summer, <laughs> or else... Oh, no. <laughs> these things are going to drop at the same time, and it's going to be like, oh, and I had Polaris on the show. Oh, did you guys talk about her music? Nope. But we talked about wigs, and <laughs> we, <laughs> we talked about boners for a little too long. <laughs> Oh, my God. And Neil was just sitting there going, what the fuck is this? <laughs> oh, no. We talk about boners, too. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I just like how boner-heavy this show is. This is like, this is not what my program is at all, man. This is a respectful program that's... Uh, boner-heavy was that? The point is that it was lovely speaking with you both. I hope you have uh, a lovely evening and keep on making cool things, the pair of you. Thank you. Thank you, yeah. We love you, Andy. Well, listen to me. 
You know, plenty of my I, I <laughs> listen to me. <laughs> I always well, no, I have this thing. Okay, I, I can't. I, I don't want to get too deep into the psychology of things, but whenever people say that to me, I have a hard time delivering that message back to them. Aww. It's a, I don't know what it is. No, because it happens all the time. Because Adam, you know, like Adam McNabb from Lucas said, he'd always say at the end, like, "Oh, all right, love ya," and I'm like. Yeah, see ya. And it's not that I don't have a shared affection. It's just for some reason, like, maybe I'm, like, walled off emotionally and all this giggling is just to hide some sort of deep shame. But the point is that uh, I listen to, uh, you know, the Astral Stereo Project all the time and I sing along and it's uh, it's great stuff. And I am, uh, you know, fueled creatively by awesome music. And I hope to, like, one of these days make some cool videos with Astral Stereo Project tracks. Because the thing is, like, there's there's so much good music here that I know would make any video project better. You know what I mean? Like, if I just took an Astral Stereo Project song and then just mm-hmm. filmed the water... It would be a cool video because the music really like heightens and makes everything better. So that's kind of what I feel like when I listen to the cinematic ones is I'm like, this just needs to be paired with an image. Mm -hmm. And then this thing will be like this amazing thing that everyone will love. But it's the music that's doing all the work. Right. Well, I mean, a magician never tells his secrets, but Neil's got like, I don't know, folders full of music that he's just not released so i'm sure there's something in there for you to use to film water well (laughs) my point isn't that i need to pair music with boring imagery it's that (laughs) it's that when you have awesome music it does all the heavy lifting like there's so many scenes where i go this would make a scene sad and emotional right just by having this music there literally the filmmakers would have to do nothing like they would they wouldn't even have to get good performances out of the people because this music would do all the work for them and i don't know this is i've been talking too much i feel like this show i could (laughs) no 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 i'm having a great time i'm sad we've got to go i'm (laughs) sad I can keep talking, but... It'll end up being like a five-hour show, so we can't... uh, I I can't make too many more of those. But uh, the point is, you guys have a lovely day. Uh, I'm happy for you all. It's it's nice. uh, I like love connections. (laughs) You're doing well, Andy. Keep going. (laughs) Just tell tell us your love was. That's that's all we want. Yeah. Yeah. We're not going until you say that. That's okay. We get it. We get it. You know, um, uh, (laughs) 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 look, I want you all to have a good night is what I'm trying to say. And uh, you you have a good night, too. And you send me your music. Keep on uh, making the things. Keep on doing the burlesque. Do you say doing the burlesque? I mean, I'm going to say it now. Got to make use of those wigs. Make some fun videos. Exactly. Start a Patreon. Fucking uh, uh, get some of those old music out of those folders and release them. And I'll uh, I'll talk to you guys in the future. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Andy. All right. We did it. Yay. I enjoyed that. And that was my chat with the Astral Stereo Project and Polaris Van Semis. Hope you enjoyed the show. Tune in next time to Beyond Synth, the best synthwave chat show there is. And uh, you know what? We'll end the show with a track this week. So after we chatted, Sam sent me over uh, one of the Gemini Paladin tracks. And so how about we end the show and actually listen to that and we'll sign off. And I hope you all have a lovely week. And uh, now here is uh, Gemini Paladin with King of It All and everything else.
You give that a listen, and I will talk to you next week on Beyond Synth, the best synthwave chat show there is. (laughs) 